Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to a Wednesday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Got a banger today for you. Murata Tesh is going to jump on with us for a little more off-season NHL talk. We'll also have Dave Naylor. And I'm really looking forward to having Nails on because obviously I want to get his thoughts on what's happening in the Canadian Football League. But um, Nathan Rourke was the talk of the NFL on the weekend. Nails was at that game down in Dallas and has been hitting some NFL training camps. So we'll kind of hit both leagues, three and four down with Naylor. And then a little later on, our pal Zig for Cassie is going to join us and you know, maybe get into a little more NFL preseason talk. But also, Zig's always been pretty tied into the Boston Bruins. Very interested to, to get Zig's take on where the Bruins go now without Bergeron, without Krejci and those two massive holes at center. Um, and whether he, like Dave Pagnotta said yesterday on, uh, on the 960 in Calgary, whether he thinks that the Bruins will circle back with Winnipeg at some point over the next little while. So... Should be a fun one. Obviously, we're going to get to the Bombers who have a closed practice, but uh, we'll uh, start off with the latest on the blue and gold as they get ready for Friday's game in Calgary against the Stampeders. That's an 8 o'clock start, and don't forget that Coors Light official Bomber watch party is going down at Hooters on Friday night. We'll look forward to hopefully seeing many of you there. Should be a real good time. Uh, Just before we bring in Michael Remus, a big shout-out and thanks to the sponsors that make Winnipeg Sports Talk happen every day. Cool Bet Canada, Princess Auto, Canadian Club, Manitoba Battery, Aquatech, and Modern Man Barbershop, Nick and Nikki DQ, F Apparel, Vita Health, Wallace and Wallace, uh, Consolidated Supply, Royal Sports and Boston Pizza, Little Brown Jug, The Gold Eyes, Assiniboia Downs, Aikens Lake, and Breezy Bend. And Michael Remus joins me right now. Speaking of Assiniboia Downs, Reem, they had to cancel the live racing last night at the track because of all this smoke. And now smoke is still a bit of an issue right now, but we've got a special weather alert of some crazy winds coming in, gusting up to 80 kilometers this afternoon. Probably not a great day to be out on a golf course, uh, despite the rather pleasant temperature. Yeah. Wow. Dude, I didn't know we could get that in Winnipeg. And I messaged you last night. I went to check how my races. Uh, we're doing because I was looking forward to uh, taking you down at the downs. I saw that they tweeted air quality. I hadn't even been outside. I didn't didn't know about that. So I'm looking at the uh, Skywatch weather right now. Yeah, it's wind gusts like 63 kilometers. Threat for damaging winds. Skywatch weather. Shout out to uh, Joel Marku from back in the day. Yeah, looking into the Skywatch weather. Um, (laughs) Gusts could reach. A hundred kilometers an hour here? That's crazy. So, uh, you know, it is August 16th, so we're venturing into Winnipeg weather talk, but it did affect racing at the Downs last night, so that's where the tie-in is. Well, and it'll affect golfing today. Uh, although I did see our pal Toth tweet out that today is the sixth anniversary of Ken Weeb's two oh. holes in one in the same round at Glendale. Is that Ken? Okay. <laughs> Oh man! Truly, truly, the most incredible it, it, it feat, and you know we could live to be five hundred years old, and nothing as crazy as that I think is ever going to happen again. Well, maybe an eighteen-minute answer to a question, but in all seriousness, um, that was funny. I think he was playing with Toth was there, 
Kevin O, Leah Hextall. and Hex, Leah Hextall. Might, might have to do a 30 for 30 on it. Listen, it, it, Ken would love that. Ken would absolutely love that. Although, the funniest thing about that is, A, Ken lost one of the balls. Um, I don't know why that thing didn't immediately go into the bag. <laughs> yeah, what was uh, he thinking? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure. I am not sure. Uh, and the card... Nobody wanted the card to be. I mean, you know, when you have that, that's like a his piece of history. The card doesn't exist because there were some big, big numbers on some of the other members of the group that didn't want it put out. So Ken had to do his own card just with the two holes in one. But uh, yes, congratulations to Ken. I'm sure we'll take a trip down memory lane on Friday when Ken joins us on Winnipeg Sports Talk, uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk today. Okay, I thought you were going to bring up another anniversary that's taking place next week. It's the fourth anniversary next week of the Raiders-Packers 80-yard classic. <laughs> Speaking uh, of 30 for 30s. Yeah, we need a 30 for 30. And that's credit to Rick Ralph. He coined it, the 80-yard <laughs> classic. But that, what a legendary night <laughs> that was at IG Field, August twenty second, twenty nineteen. So that's it's next funny week. You bring that up. It's Full so show. funny you bring that up. That that event was such a disaster, and you could you could feel it as we got closer and closer to the event. That you know, a lot of people, you know, had paid big money for tickets, um, but overall, it was. I mean, because of how expensive that it was. Um, there's a lot of people that just said, yeah, okay, I'm not going. Um, then they had to cut prices. They did a whole bunch of things to get people in the seats. And, okay, well, whatever. It's going to be, we've got a beautiful stadium. It still should be a cool event. It was week three of the preseason. And that was the game that, you know, we were supposed to see Aaron Rodgers and Carr and <laughs> Antonio Brown. If you recall, that was part of the very brief stint of Antonio Brown as a Raider. Who uh, and Antonio Brown apparently did enjoy some of Winnipeg <laughs> while he was here, just not anything really at the stadium, and that of course led to the divorce shortly afterwards after uh, Brown was picked up. But uh, I mean, I can't remember the name of the guy, the name of the guy that was putting that on, but like I think he ditched town in the third quarter, like getting the hell out of Dodge because I think there were some bills that were still left kicking around and. Obviously, the embarrassment of everything that happened before with that, with the field not being suitable for the game and having to crank it back to an 80-yard game was, um, was one of the more ridiculous events probably in anything the NFL has been associated with for a long time. I'm pretty sure there's never been another NFL game that's been played on anything other than a 100-yard field. Yeah, I think it was was his name John Graham who put that together. Um, here, here we, you know, we should do a full breakdown, but here's Paul Gutierrez tweeted this out. This is them, like, examining that hole in the field. Um, sorry, podcast listeners, but, yeah, there was what, where they have the goalpost in the front of the end zone. There was a hole there, and some people were concerned. I think one, John Gruden said he was fine with it, but it was the Packers. We had a lot of concerns and you know when that came when that came out you're like oh nfl game here that's pretty exciting but then when you saw the ticket prices for an nfl preseason game 
uh, was completely ridiculous. And I think a lot of people here would rather, you know, you like the NFL, but you'd rather go see, you're going to pay that. You could buy a couple bomber games for that price. And it just, it, the value. You could go to Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was 300 bucks for uh, for some of those tickets. I think the top ones might have even been more than that. It was insane. And you knew, I think there was the idea that because it was week three, like some of the guys were going to play like Aaron Rodgers, but. They that didn't end up happening. So it was, which is the value just wasn't wasn't there. It was a great idea in concept, but um, that field issue, or even before that, did not work out well. Hey, were were the Raiders not the hard knocks team that year? They were, yeah. So there was the hard knocks of them, like at the Fairmont, like walking around downtown, and you know, even before they when they landed like AJ Cole who's like my favorite NFL player wore the Winnipeg Alberta t-shirt and oh, there's so much that's right there's so much goodness and i found um there was a reporter who i found who just did had Packers reporter who was so good. like you had all these big names here cuz NFL there's so much media and it was a complete disaster. So we're coming up on the four-year anniversary. We should do that. We should get, you know, a couple people that were covering the team at that time. I don't know if there's any retired players that might have been in there. But, yeah, we could do our own WST Investigates, the the WST 30 for 30 on the 80-yard game. Yeah, that was – what a classic. So I know we've kind of gone into it, but maybe we'll, we'll delve into it more <laughs> next week on the um, 23rd. But- it is a week today. And it's the four-year – so everyone in chat's like, I thought that game was 2017, 2018. That's not 2019. I'm like, nope, 2019, August. And uh, someone wrote in chat, 2019 feels like seven years ago with everything that's happened since then. Over. To Derek take Schmidt. the over on that. It yeah. Literally, <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it feels way longer. Well, and, and you know, I mean, that, that entire period um, – I was talking with someone yesterday. We're kind of trying to space out. We we're talking about when mm-hmm. we started Winnipeg Sports Talk and you had a 1290. And obviously I was in the hospital for a while. And just backing that up to the beginning of the pandemic. And then you think about how bizarre the hockey seasons were. The shutdown for a long yeah. time. The bubble. The no fan season. I mean, it really does seem like it's far more than a decade ago um, as things slowly get back to, uh, I guess, a new normal because there are a lot of things that will never be the same from uh, that period of the pandemic. Yeah, hey, we're back. We're going to Burt Block parties and concerts here, WWE, so we don't have to think about all that stuff. But, you know, as far as timelines, like I was trying to remember the other day, like was the Line A trade before March 2020? Was it January 20? No, but it was January 2021 when they returned and then he what had the game winner and then was was traded as far as January 20 that also seems like so long ago I know I do remember that game against the Calgary Flames though to kick off the season when uh line a was the best player on the ice won the game for the Winnipeg Jets and that was the last we ever saw him uh wearing wearing the uni of the home squad and of course the Jets opening the season in Calgary October 11th before coming back on October 14th to welcome Paul Maurice and the Panthers back for the home opener, a 3 p.m. game on October 14th. And I'm actually going to be in Calgary for that game. Be a fun way to kick things off for another season here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Um, Let's quickly get to the Bombers. Closed practice today, Remus. So, I mean, none of the media reporting on what's going on today. But uh, as it pertains to Zach Kolaris, 
They've held him out of practice the last couple of days with a neck injury. He did run some drills and throw a few footballs yesterday, albeit in like a track suit, not, um, you know, no, uh, no pads or anything like that. And I think the, uh, the assumption right now is that in this closed practice that Zach is going to test things out. And I guess the decision will be made heading into tomorrow. Um, you know, they'll do a walkthrough and travel tomorrow. We'll get the roster tomorrow. So I think at that point, we will see whether it's Drew Brown or whether it's Zach Caleros. But you know what's really interesting? And again, you know, I often look to point spreads and sort of follow the money for what we should be expecting. I mean, the Bombers were seven-point favorites yesterday. It's 6.5 right now, but that's still a big number. And I think the fact that it's on the board just speaks to how impressed everybody was with Drew Brown in that the Bomber offense really didn't. Well, if anything, it stepped it up when Brown came in. Obviously, they were down 22 nothing. It came back for that wild win. Um, but as they say, I think whether Brown is in or whether Zach's in, the Bombers are a significant favorite against a Calgary team that has really been struggling this year. <laughs> yeah, six and a half point favorites, the Bombers. And a lot of that is Bombers just have so many weapons at receiver. Um, you saw, like, when you throw it to Kenny Lawler and he reaches out with one hand, and makes a grab. Uh, I think Drew Brown called his pass touchdown pass to Nick Dembski in the post game, like a uh, you know horribly thrown ball, and Dembski well, makes these Willie Mays style catches <laughs> underneath them. And you know Dalton Schoen, he's one of the top guys in the league too, taking big hits and hanging on to the ball. So uh, he's just putting it in the vicinity. These guys are making making catches, and yeah, I, I mean you're looking for fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, is Drew Brown? If you have to pick a quarterback this week to lead your team, is he going to be the most reliable? Because, like, what's going on in Montreal? What's their situation? Ottawa, you know, Edmonton, uh, Hamilton's on a backup as well. BC's kind of stable with VA back in Saskatchewan. Again, injuries. So I would probably pick, you know, if you had to rank QBs around the league for week 11, like, I think I'd put Drew Brown number two behind Vernon Adams because Toronto's not playing. Uh, that's right. Of course, Chad Kelly's on the bye. Yeah. And the BC Lions are nine and a half point road favorites in Saskatchewan. You have to go a long, long ways back to see a number like that for a visiting team, I think, going into Saskatchewan. But man, the Riders had such a brutal no-show last week in Montreal. I, I'm not surprised that, um, you know, there's not a lot of faith in what's going on right there. And if it wasn't for the Elks, um, you know, where would the Riders be right now? I mean, two of their four wins have been very, very close wins over Edmonton. And um, as I said, right now in the Canadian Football League, there's three teams that are that seemingly are legit Grey Cup contenders, Winnipeg, BC, Toronto. The next tier is Montreal by themselves, in my opinion. And then you've got Ottawa, you've got Hamilton, you've got Calgary, you've got Saskatchewan, and then... There's the Edmonton Elks, but um, Hamilton's been really struggling as well. They're five and a half point favorites against the uh, the Elks coming up uh, for the game that kicks off the week in the Canadian Football League tomorrow. And uh, tomorrow on the lock shop at noon, Dusty and I will get into a little bit more CFL talk and picks for that. So uh, don't miss that. Uh, Remo, a former Winnipeg Jet has uh, has gone back to the KHL. No NHL opportunities for Evgeny Svechnikov, I guess, and. Uh, the former Jet, who made a lot of fans here in his one season in Winnipeg, um, no longer playing uh, playing here on this side of the pond. 
Yeah, shout out to uh, Dave Manukel of IllegalCurve.com posting on their website today that he signed. Uh, he signed in the KHL. Um, so he was here, you know, 21-22. He had clicked for a bit online. Who was it with? Uh, Connor and... Was it Connor and Shifley? I'm trying to remember. And then they moved him off. And the team just it wasn't the same after that has, um, you know, he did have that one solid season, but they opted not to bring him back was with the sharks last year. And now he's off to the KHL. So, um, I, you know, you this reminds me of, uh, guys here has been here for one year flash move on and, uh, they're out of the league. Yeah. We've been spending some time behind the scenes, putting together, um, rosters or lineups of one and done Winnipeg mm-hmm. jets, like guys that came here, played one year and then left. And I will say this, Svechnikov actually grades out pretty well. I mean, he, he played 72 games that year. He only scored seven goals, but again, he was on the fourth line for, I think a good point period of time, 19 points. And I do remember and again, this always happens, I mean, with some people, but there was a little bit of outrage when the Jets did not make an offer, or did not re-sign Svechnikov. And now, I mean, I think in the end, they've probably been proven right um, because he hasn't stuck in the NHL and obviously he was playing on a terrible San Jose team last year. But I will say this, I have fond memories of Svech's 72 games as a Winnipeg Jet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he had that mic'd up video. Uh, that everyone enjoyed, where he's you know had his funny commentary. And yeah, he signed with Akbar's uh, Kazan in the KHL. Um, and yeah, he, I mean, you we're talking about Jets one and done because uh, what Oilers live reporting that Sam Gagne is going to sign a PTO, and a lot of people here are saying is Gagne a, a free agent. Gagne had a great season here last year, then got hurt, scored some big goals, but was in and out of the lineup. And I said. Do either Sam Gagne or Evgeny Svechnikov crack your Jets one and done if you had a starting five? Gagne, 14 points in 48 games uh, the last season. So uh, two former Jets finding new homes. Rob Mahoney, Jet legend Anton Forsberg had a great tenure here. See, uh, He was certainly one and done. That was a wild time for Forsberg, who uh, was bouncing around the waiver wire, kind of like the way uh, Eric Comrie did. Uh, a year before, and <laughs> Yin Vivian, <laughs> KHL equals AEW. I'll give the AEW folks maybe a little bit more credit than the KHL, but yeah, I guess if you're not, if you're not in the biggest league, uh, which is the NHL, it um, certainly money-wise, I think probably uh, the next best. Now, Dave Naylor is going to be joining us in a few minutes. Do you, do you want to get into your uh, your team right now? Sure. Well, let we're we're. Coming up against it, but for Jets one and done, um, I had, and first of all, I don't know if Anton Forsberg counts. You couldn't use Anton Forsberg as a Jet in Puckdoku because he never actually played a game. Yeah, he just practiced. Yeah, the, that, that is true. He probably technically does not count. It, but but he did have Jets pads, did he not, when he moved on to, was it Ottawa after? Yeah, oh yeah, he picked up equipment everywhere he went. Yeah. And then, and then he played against the Jets like two weeks later when yeah, he finally he, got a chance to play for Ottawa. And I think he was wearing, wearing the, the Jets equipment never got used for the Jets, but they got used against the Jets playing for the Sens. Okay, I'll give you my Jets one and duns. And Dylan Webb says, shout out to Mike Santarelli. He was on my honorable mention list. He played 10 Wasn't games. Wasn't he the shootout specialist? Yeah, I'm a big Mike <laughs> Santarelli guy. 
Oh, I see people giving shout-outs to players. Ponikarovsky from Waiters, but no, I'll give Lee Stepniak. He's a, if you had to pick a starting five, Jets one and done. 2014-15, 18 games, 6 goals, 4 assists, 10 points. Huge trade deadline acquisition. I thought they should have re-signed him, or maybe he didn't want to re-sign here because he seemed like such a good such a good fit. But I like Lee Stepniak as my Jets one and done. Yeah, I guess he came in. I was kind of picking guys that actually played more games. He had 10 um, points in 18 games. I don't know. Like... No, well, I I know. I just I guess mean I I was looking for guys that played more than like oh. to that were basically with the Jets for a season, like not necessarily picking up guys that just came in at yeah. the trade. Uh, at the he trade was so deadline. good though. Who um just quick? Can you give your your team, and then I've got one later on that which we can do. Well, actually, we'll we'll have some fun memories with Marat when he joins us a little bit later on as well. Okay, I'll give you my other one. Okay, this is a real one, and I was actually surprised that he had only played one season with the Jets because it felt felt like he was here for way more. Tim Stapleton, eleven twelve. Yeah, I thought he was a fan favorite at least. Now I played on the fourth line was uh you know healthy scratch at times sixty three games. 11 goals, 16 assists, 27 points, first season of the Jets. And we spoke to him. He said he wanted to come back, but there was a lockout. So we went to the KHL and tore it up there. So I liked uh, I liked Tim Stapleton on my Jets one and done starting five. That's, that is that is a great pick. That is a great pick. Um, listen, I, I mean, you know, guys will have some different numbers. And they're memorable for different reasons. Tim Stapleton absolutely one of the best and most memorable one-and-done players, I think, that have uh, you know been members of the Jets. Yeah, and I felt like you could relate to him. He's like a small guy with speed and skill, and you know he got a big opportunity or played some power play time. Uh, big Tim, you know, in, embraced Winnipeg. We had him on this show. Big Tim Stapleton, guys. So he makes the cut for me on my one-and-done. And you may not like my next forward pick. Um, as I don't think he fill, fulfills your criteria. I didn't realize there was a minimum games played requirement. But I gotta put I gotta put Kevin Hayes on there, Hess, for me. <laughs> Responsible for one of the most iconic moments in Jets 2.0 history. Yeah, for all the wrong reasons. Yes, for when all he the wrong when reasons. he was on a breakaway and took the puck out of the net in the 2019 playoffs. But he did have I think the tenure is gonna have give mixed Mixed responses, 20 games, 5 goals, 7 assists, 12 points. Couldn't really, they couldn't find him a permanent line. He played on every line, which, you know, based on his career, seems odd that they couldn't make it work. Signed a huge contract in Philly. I'm going with Kevin Hayes on my Nicely done. My okay, we'll, we'll get back to this a little later on. We've got some funny memories of the last, but we're going to have Dave Naylor join us in just a second. Uh, before we bring Nails on, a big thanks to Modern Man Barbershops for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Eight locations in Winnipeg now, including the newest locations on Pemina Highway or Plessy Road. Uh, they've got you covered with haircuts, beard shaping, shaves, color services, and more. Book your look at modernmanbarber.com and give them a follow on Instagram at modernmanbarbershops. Uh, don't forget, there still is limited install dates left from our friends at AquaTech. Of course, they uh, are the leaders in in-ground and above-ground custom pools. And of course, whole home rentals start with AquaTech as well with thousands of rentals as their foundation. Let AquaTech upgrade any space in your home. Um, they, there still is time 
to make your pool dreams a reality. More info at aqua-tech.ca. Uh, ready for the weekend and what's rest of summer? Get on down and make sure you got your battery needs covered at Manitoba Battery with the best prices in town on batteries for literally everything to power you through summer. Don't waste your time with the big box stores because Donnie and the gang are going to beat the pants off them with the best prices in town. And even better, they'll deliver it to you anywhere in the city for free with any purchase over 60 bucks. It's that simple. Pop down manitobabattery.com. You can give them a phone call or pop down and visit them at 1026 Logan Avenue. And a big cheers to our friends at Canadian Club, official sponsors of the Bombers. We'll have some CC and Gingers at IG Field next week when the Bombers host the Montreal Alouettes. And in the meantime, with everything going on at the liquor stores, you can always get the great taste of CC and Ginger in 473 milliliter cans over at your local beer store or vendor. All right, let's hit the road because our guy Nails is uh, doing a little NFL training camp tour. We can hit some three down and four down football with Dave Naylor of TSN who joins us now. Nails, what's going on? How's the trip and where are you at? Nathan Rourke uh, leading up to his second preseason appearance, which we anticipate he will see a fair amount of action on Saturday at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern against the Detroit Lions. Of course, a lot of buzz following Nathan around right now with uh, you know what happened Saturday night. And you know, it's funny, he, he's not even on social media at, at this time. He's uh, he has somebody else kind of manages social media. Uh, so he's you know, he's been insulated from some of the reaction, but you know, the guy's been a lot of places, high school in Canada, high school in the States, junior college, uh, Ohio University, BC. Heard from pretty much somewhere, some at least somebody at every spot that he's been and uh, you know, certainly appreciates the recognition. And, and I, I think, you know, beyond the play for Nathan Rourke, uh, I, I think it was really just the experience of, of playing in the National Football League game. I mean, that that's what he grew up dreaming of. You know, that's it's always been about the NFL for Nathan Rourke. And with all due respect to his time with the BC Lions and the CFL. And, uh, you know, he said it was it was really kind of surreal, especially to be doing that you know, on the big field at Dallas. Uh, you know, it, it was really something special for him. And uh, I, I think, you know, he, he, I asked him what he proved that day. And he said he thought he proved that he belongs. And, and I think I would as somebody who, you know, watched every snap of his very, very closely. I, I would certainly concur with that. You know, uh, uh, Dave, I mean, the play itself was just so bloody phenomenal. I mean, four times he should have been sacked, and he literally was almost on the ground when he got rid of the football and throws that dime. The reaction to it was amazing. And the first time, I mean, listen, if you popped your phone open, um, no matter what, that thing was coming across your feed in the first five minutes. But the first one that I saw was from Warren Sharp, who's a great follow, very bright football guy, saying that if Patrick Mahomes made this play, Twitter would melt down. About 10 minutes later, Twitter literally was melting down, including Mahomes himself tweeting that and going, what a nasty play. Um, like He said, that's probably the play of the year. I'm not sure we'll have anything better all year long, even though it was week one preseason. I mean, what a way to announce your arrival, even in the position that he is on the Jags depth chart. Yeah, and, and look, that's it's not something he's going to be able to do every week, but it's something that he's remembered by now, right? A lot of people in around, I'm sure with other organizations even, didn't know who Nathan Rourke was or weren't very aware of him until that play. And I think that's the important part, that you, you know, when you don't know what your future is going to be, you're 25 years old, you're, you're just starting your journey in the National Football League, 
is Nathan Rourke going to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars? And probably not for substantially unless Trevor Lawrence is hurt. I mean, the Jags would be happy to have Trevor Lawrence take every snap for the next 15 years. But the good thing for Nathan is they don't have five quarterbacks in camp here. They've got three. And so, you know, that gives him a good opportunity to practice, gives him a good opportunity in the preseason games to, to be noticed. And, you know, I, one of the things I talked to him with the play today about his ability to break tackles. And you know, I watched Nathan a little bit when he was in college, and that was certainly a big part of his game. He was not, you know, one of these quarterbacks who always stood protected in the pocket. He ran outside a lot, tucked it, and ran upfield. And when you do that, you know, and you're, you're trying to be that dual threat guy that's keeping the defense guessing whether or not you're going to throw or run it, you take a lot of contact. So it's that, that was, you know, that's not an accident that Nathan Rourke has that ability. He called it a bit of a, a bit of a God-given ability just to, to break tackles. And, you know, I, I think you see in that play kind of a, a combination of two things. One is, you know, that God-given ability that he displayed in high school and in college to break tackles and be that, that guy who could take hits and, and re- be really durable. Uh, you know, in the, in the backfield. And then the other half of it is the ability to throw that ball. And, and look, Nathan Rourke, you know, was about a 61% completion guy in college. It's one of the reasons, you know, some CFL teams may have even shied away from him in the, in the CFL. I think he was 80.3% and he was certainly for much of the season. I mean, that's historically high. (laughs) I mean, in the history of the league, you know, that's, that is in a, a very, very elite company. So he became a much better, a much purer passer during his two years in the CFL. And if you look at that play, it kind of combines those two elements, right? Like his sort of rough shot ability to break tackles and 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 the the escape ability that he has, the elusiveness that he sort of had all the way along. And then on the back end of the play, you know, have the ability to make the technically sound throw, even as somebody's tackling him from behind. I had some fun today with Q. I learned his nickname is Kadri Allison, the receiver on the play who caught the pass. And, you know, he described it as, as being in slow motion. You know, he said, and all he could think about is, oh, man, do not drop this. <laughs> Again, this guy just played, pulled a Houdini act out and he's just thrown me a perfect pass. We may have dropped the signal from uh, from Detroit Lions training camp. Well, hopefully we'll get uh, him back on. Um, because I mean that was the the thing. I mean the the reaction of everyone in Jacksonville, and and, and I'm pretty confident, Remus, that that play, one way or the other, um, pretty much guaranteed that Nathan Rourke is going to be kicking around the National Football League for a long time. And if it isn't with Jacksonville at some point, there will be another team that is going to give him a shot and maybe get him into a situation that he's far more likely to actually have the opportunity. Um, to play regularly as opposed to being in a spot where it's highly unlikely at any point other than an injury to their number one in Trevor Lawrence that he'd be getting any significant playing time. Yeah, it reminds me of, remember uh, when Matt Flynn uh, came in as a backup for the Packers and got that huge contract? He just needed that one game, and that was it. You got it. I think we got Dave back. Dave, sorry, we were just sort of talking about, you know, the receiver that, you know, that, that had it. I mean... Overall, would love to know, um, I mean, what it was like being around that team, talking about that play with some of the other players, and of course, Coach Doug Peterson, who was seeing this young man in live live action for the first time. Yeah, I asked Peterson today, I said, what did you learn about Nathan Rourke on Saturday? First thing he said is, I learned a lot. <laughs> and I think that's, 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 I think, really meaningful, right? That and, he, and one of the things he talked about was just his toughness. And, and that, I think he's referring to what he saw in the play. But again, I think 
you know, the only downside of making a play like that, and believe me, that's I'm, I'm being kind of, you know, joking. There's no downside to making a play like that. But the one thing about it, it did kind of obscure the fact that Nathan Rourke really played well for a, first, for a full half of football. I mean, 153 yards translates into, into a 306-yard game <laughs> if you're playing both halves. Uh, he was five for five on third down conversions after the first series. So, you know, I, I think, and this is, you know, this, it's a bit of reality, Joel, today. Like today, the Jags and the Lions, you know, their offense is going up against Detroit's defense up and down the field for two full hours. And Trevor Lawrence took about two thirds of the snaps and C.J. Beathard got a third and Nathan Rourke didn't get a single one. And, you know, I, I could talk to talking to him after practice. I know that's difficult. He talked about having been through that before. You know, when he came out of Ohio University, went to the BC Lions, and he's backing up. He's gone from being the man to being the backup to Mike Riley. Now, there's kind of a saying in football, uh, the, the preseason or the practices are for the starters, the preseason games are for the backups. So uh, even though, again, they're doing this again tomorrow, joint practice again, Jags and Lions, uh, Nathan, I asked him you know, how, much, uh, how many reps do you expect to see tomorrow's practice. He said he wasn't sure, uh, you know, as he wasn't today either. Uh, but he did say he expects to see some substantial playing time when they play on Saturday against the Lions. And that's that's really why you've got to make the most of these opportunities. Uh, you know, they, Nathan Rourke may not take a meaningful snap for the Jaguars this year. But if Trevor Lawrence gets an injury, you know, and, and C.J. Beathard doesn't look great, everything he does during these preseason games is going to be sitting in the back of the minds of Doug Peterson and his coaching staff. And, you know, I don't think it's impossible to imagine Nathan Rourke getting a start in that kind of, uh, in that kind of situation. But as I say, uh, if you ask the Jaguars right now who they like, would like to see take every single snap for the next 15 years, uh, it's, it's Trevor Lawrence. It, it is, Dave. But <laughs> the one thing, I mean, we'll see how things play out in Jacksonville. I mean, listen, I don't know, maybe this is – not fair, but I mean, I think there's a ton of C.J. Beathards around, guys with limited NFL experience that have bounced around from team to team that you can come in and have a warm body. But Rourke has the potential, I think, to be much more than that. And if it doesn't work out in Jacksonville, I'll say one thing. That one single play that he made on Saturday night got him onto the radar of 31 other NFL teams. And, you know, if there is a second act elsewhere... I wouldn't at all be surprised if even that just that little bit of tape along with whatever else he can do puts him in a situation, Dave, that, you know, he might get into a legitimate competition in a couple years to actually play in the National Football League, um, you know, as a guy that could compete for a starting job, depending on what the quarterback situation is with probably half the league. Yeah, I, I think when you look at how a guy like Nathan Rourke could potentially become a starter in the NFL, you know, there, there's there's kind of two ways it could happen, right? One is that the guy in front of the guys in front of him just you know fail and and they turn to you. That's kind of how it happened for Jeff Garcia in San Francisco. But Trevor Lawrence is 23, and there's not much to suggest that he's going to fail in the in the in the NFL. But you never know what's going to happen. It could be injuries, could, all kinds of things could can come in the way. The other way is that, as you say, that you know he, either through a trade or free agency, a team looks at him and says, "There's a guy." You know, we want to take a shot with. Now, it's it's unlikely a team would do that and say, "Here, you're our number one." It would be more likely a situation where you go in and and compete for maybe the number one, or maybe you're going in as the number two, and that's still a step up from the number one in Jacksonville. You know, th those kinds of things. I think you get you get one step closer. But like, I, I'm sure teams have done their homework on Nathan Rourke. You know, he he worked out for a lot of teams last winter. Uh, you know, everything that he does 
this Saturday in Jacksonville's final preseason game, which is back in Jack, in their only one at home. Those things will matter. And, you know, I'll give you something else on Nathan Work that I think is important. You follow his path from Canadian high school to American high school to junior college to the NCAA to the BC Lions. It's remarkable that every time he stepped up in level, he never regressed. The success was immediate. You know, you would expect that, hey, you know, you're going from Canadian high school to high school in Alabama. You know, you're going you're gonna to struggle. It's going to take you 13-0 and 0 as a starter in Alabama. I want a state championship. You know, then he goes to junior college. Well, that's, that's stepping up a bit. It's a Canadian kid, only played one year American high school. He's a conference all-star, right? Then he goes and he gets an NCAA scholarship at Ohio. And, you know, it was about three games he became the starter. And they went to three straight bowl games, and I believe they won them all. And if you check and see how many bowl games Ohio had gone to in the previous 100 years, it's not a ton. So, you know, he, it was historic success for him there. And then he goes to the BC Lions, and one year backing up Mike Riley, you know, he's, he's chasing a league all-time mark for completion percentage. And I, and I believe had he not been injured, he would have been the league's MOP. So that's what makes the NFL thing so intriguing to me, is that every time the competition and the level of play has been raised around Nathan Rohr, he has been equal to. And, I, and, I, and I, you know, I look and in a, you can certainly make the argument that even though it's a preseason game and you're playing with the backups primarily, his performance Saturday night fell right in line with that, right? That, that he did not regress before he had success. So I, I think it's, I think you, especially with what he did on Saturday, you're going to have a lot of more people, whether it be fans or, or football people, you be very intrigued to see what he can do in the final two preseason games. No doubt about that. Dave Naylor on the road at NFL training camps, TSN football insider with us on Winnipeg sports talk, Dave, from one side of the border to the other, I know you're still uh, paying close attention and all over the Canadian Football League. Just wanted your thoughts on the Edmonton Elks, 0-9, halfway to the perfect season, haven't won at home since 2019. We know all the gory details, and now a change. I think everyone expected some sort of change, but it was with the president, not anything to do with the football ops. Um, how how grave is this situation in Edmonton, considering where this organization's been historically amongst the Canadian Football League franchises? Uncharted waters, uncharted waters. You know, I I put a, a tweet out last night, and I said, you know, in, in one way or another, with the few years in between, missed. I've been covering this league since 1991, and one that makes me old. And <laughs> and two, um, I have covered a financial crisis every at least one financial crisis for every single team in this league except for one and that one is Edmonton and Edmonton had been you know the bedrock team right and it it didn't even matter whether they're having a good season or bad season there's 28,000 people there every week right always near the top of the league in attendance and right now they've been burning through cash you know the last few years the revenues have dried up you know whether it's sponsorships whether it's uh, whether it's the 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 gate attendance which is the primary lifeblood of, of a CFL team and the one thing about firing Victor Quay is that the president is not part of the football operations cap. And, you know, the Chris Jones question about whether he finishes the year is more a question for the Elks accountants than it is for, you know, the, the guy who's now, I guess, the interim CEO, the chair of the board, Tom Richards, who you know put his endorsement behind Chris Jones yesterday. And, and I don't want to dismiss that. That would be unfair. But the fact is this team may not have a choice because they, they don't necessarily have a a logical candidate to step up to be the head coach on the staff and 
they don't have the money to go and hire somebody else. And so, look, I, I don't think it's a guarantee that Chris Jones finishes the year. But, you know, and then they've also got the implication that you've got to figure out, you know, you've got to pay him. Now, you've only, you know, our belief is, and we have Sparhan reported this on SportsCenter last night, that although Chris Jones has a contract that goes to the end of 2025, a four-year deal, the, the terms of uh, the termination language is basically one year of pay from the day you fire. And now that could get challenged, so it could turn into more. But at a minimum, you're paying them for a year. But that, whether they fire him at the end of the season or tomorrow or whenever, it's just, I, I think it's very difficult to replace him both from a financial and a, a personnel perspective in season. Now, off the field, now you go into the off season and you look at this team and say, do they have enough money to get to 2024? Yeah. Do they have enough money to get through 2024? Different question. Do they have enough money to get beyond 24? Even more de- different question. And, and here's, here's where it becomes an issue. A lot of times when teams, you know, their bank rolls, their, their bank accounts get low at the end of the year, you go into the off season, all the season ticket money flows in and that fills up your gas tank. There's not going to be a lot of season ticket money flowing into Edmonton at the end of this season coming off this year. So that's one issue. And the second one is, and I think there are people in the organization that recognize this. This is not a one-year fix. You know, this is a team that's probably going to have to spend more than it takes in for a number of years to get themselves back to where they want to be. So you can't look at it and say, well, we've got enough to, you know, get us to the end of 2024. We're good. This is going to be a team that requires an investment. So I think there's two roads here to go down. One is you take the community ownership structure and you try and raise capital off of that, whether it's, and I'm not an expert in this stuff, you know, raising shares, issuing shares, other ways. Now, one question I would have about that is, you know, what's the market for people to run out and buy shares in this team right now? Put their money into it. I, I, don't, I don't know how people in Edmonton are feeling about the team, whether that's something that, you know, there's going to be a lineup for. And then the other one is you go down the road and you put the team into private hands, which is a big, big change, of course, for a team that you know, has the long history of public ownership. You guys know that in Winnipeg. They know it in Saskatchewan. They used to have it in Calgary, right? It was, it was really the lifeblood of, blood of Prairie football, but you know, about, what, 30, 40 years ago, somewhere in that range, the stamps went private. And you can certainly make the argument that Calgary's been a much more successful team in private private ownership than it has been in public. Now, that doesn't mean public ownership doesn't work. We've seen how well it's worked in Winnipeg, you know, over the last little while. But uh, I, I don't know which way this is going to go. But I will guarantee you this. The conversation about private ownership will come out and will come under consideration this offseason without any doubt you know i mean dave this is such great stuff and um i mean obviously normally we're not talking about the front office i mean outside of football ops and other teams but i think you paint the picture of just how serious this and uncharted territory to use your words that the elks are in um like moving forward this next president, I would imagine, regardless of, you know, how the, if the ownership structure changes, I mean, Victor Kui was supposed to be that guy to sort of, you know, take this team back to the community. And, I, and frankly, I thought he did some initiatives that were certainly good. And uh, I mean, listen, it's tough to sell a team that never wins at home, but man, uh, wh- whoever this person is. And I mean, I think of just how successful Wade Miller's been here in Winnipeg and the unique background he had, a former player, knows football, a successful businessman in this community with roots. Um, it's been an absolute home run. 
I mean, to me, those are the things that the Edmonton organization needs to find on uh, the person to 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 try to give some semblance of confidence, to give fans a reason to give them another chance after what's happened the last few seasons. Yeah, I know. Look, there anecdotally, it it has come out. I think from different directions that, that Victor Quee may have not been that much fun to work for. I, I'll, I'll put it that way. That's that's what I'm hearing from people. Um, Look, I, I've only spoken at length to Victor Quee once, and it, and it was shortly after he was hired. Uh, we talked about his background in sports in Asia. We talked about how we were both at the Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia in 1998. Uh, and, I, and I thought, honestly, I, I thought it seemed like a, a brilliant hire. Uh, and I believe it was Rick Lalisher, you know, a former uh, Edmonton president who recommended him. I mean, this is a guy who's from Edmonton. This is a guy who went to Asia and was involved in the sports entertainment business. This was a guy who was a recipient of an Edmund, what then an Edmonton Eskimo scholarship, you know, when he was at the University of Alberta, I believe, and and I thought it was good that you had somebody who's you know from the community, you know, in the business of sport entertainment, but was a bit of an outsider as well. I think sometimes that's not a bad thing at, at either. But you, know, you look at their string of, of of presidents, you know, since Len Rhodes, uh, who I guess was the last president you would say that that oversaw a successful organization, they hired Chris Presson, which. That was an unusual hire. I mean, he was a guy from Arizona. He was an American. Uh, he was a real outsider. And I, and I think sometimes it's impossible uh, when you come from you know, outside the country to necessarily have your finger on the pulse of a community-owned CFL team. You know, I, I would say probably Chris Preston's resume more than, say, you know, his, his skill set was, was, was the miss in, in Edmonton at that time. Uh, and then you go from him to Victor Kui. So it's yeah. When you when you look, I, <laughs> Wade Miller's winning games and and selling merchandise and filling stadiums, right? That that's what a team president does. And uh, I I have the utmost respect from Wade. I remember when he was hired; it was a bit of a surprise to me, you know. But obviously, it it was the right call. And Edmonton hasn't had that right call. And I think they're trying to get a new president in place. It's going to be three or four months. They're going to have somebody. On an interim basis, on a on a in a shorter term, uh, but this yeah, this absolutely is an important hire, and I don't know whether the ownership situation has to be figured out before they hire the president or not. I mean, like, can you have the board hire the president and then have the team go into private ownership? Whether that could be a single owner or a consortium of maybe a half dozen owners, are they going to want the president? That this board, uh, given the fact that this board has not necessarily had a great track record at hiring the last two presidents, and I say that with the asterisk that the, there is turnover on the board, right? Like it's not like one board and the same people that hired Chris Presson are the people that are going to look for the next president. I believe it's two members a year that turn over. So I think we have to be careful making that distinction when we're talking about past board decisions and then sort of the current makeup of the board. Nails, great stuff as always. We'll look forward to uh, Elks Ticats on Thursday, Bomber Stamps on Friday, and of course all the preseason action and your contributions on SportsCenter the rest of the way. Uh, enjoy the rest of the trip and looking forward to talking to some some three and four down football with you in the coming weeks as we get closer to Labor Day and of course NFL kickoff as well. Thanks, pal. Thanks, guys. See ya. Good stuff. There is Dave Naylor. Great stuff from Nails on the Road talking a little Nathan Rourke, and then, of course, the big story in the Canadian Football League, which continues to be the Elks uh, 
on and off the field. An absolute disaster. Uh, we're going to get over to hockey. Our pal Murata Tesh is coming up right away. Um, before that, do want to thank our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market with six locations in Winnipeg and online at myvita.ca with great prices on natural organic supplements, beauty products, groceries, and Winnipeg's largest selection of local products too. Hopefully you're finding a time to stay active this summer. If your joints and muscles are sore, try taking Health Curcumin Supreme Extra Strength. It helps ease pain and inflammation, and you only take it once a day. Get on down to Vita Health. Check out that. Of course, they're great buys, grass-fed buys, and beefsteaks for your barbecue. And they do have local delivery available online at myvita.ca. Um, before we bring in Rod, I do want to thank our friends at Wallace and Wallace. And again, we talked about the bark at the park on the weekend. Um, of course, Wallace and Wallace was a big part of that event with the pet photo booth, but also um, the temporary fencing they needed for the dog run. If you want to build a dog run or have any temporary fencing needs, Wallace and Wallace is there for you. In addition to, of course, being the leaders in fencing and overhead doors, since 1946 in Winnipeg. Give them a call at 452-2700 for an appointment for a free estimate. You can also visit them at wallacefences.com or pop down to their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. Guys, how's your closet looking? If you need to up your menswear game heading into fall and the upcoming hockey season, you need to get down to F Apparel. Custom suits beginning at 400 bucks. You'll never look as good as a custom-made suit from F Apparel. But they also do chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. If you're in a wedding party, talk to them about a 15% discount for the entire wedding party when your fella, when the fellas get suited up at F Apparel. You can pop by and see them at 190 Smith Street downtown. Make an appointment. There's, check them out online at F, that's E-P-H apparel.com. And just before we bring in Marat, not a beautiful day today. Crazy wind, uh, but it's always a great day for uh, a trip to Nick and Nikki DQ. Four locations, DQ Niverville, along with DQ Northgate, Polo Park, and St. Anne's. Delicious summer blizzard flavors. And you can get those ice cream treats to go in boxes as well, like the Buster Bars, Dilly Bars, and more. And if you need a custom ice cream or blizzard cake for an upcoming event, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll custom make it for you however you like for a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. All right, let's welcome in Murata Tesh from The Athletic as we continue to look forward to the upcoming hockey season. Murat, what's going on? How are you? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well, Huss. I'm just, I'm trying to wrap my brain around one of those down goes brain games where he's done um this jersey number game where you want to take a center two wingers two defensemen and a goalie and have their jersey numbers add up to a hundred to make the best team that you can and i'm just like right before i came on i shouldn't have looked at this but now i did and i'm hooked so i've got a team i tweeted this um from the nhl jets 2.0 era of Evander Kane, who wore number nine, Brian Little, that's 18, Wheeler, 26, Dylan DeMello, Jacob Truba, and Connor Hellebuck. I think that adds up to 100. I think that's the best team I can make, but 
I actually kind of want to see if uh, if folks can beat me. So that's what I got hooked on today. Interesting. Oh. Now, did, did did Down Goes Brown tweet this out, or is this in the Athletic? Uh, this is a story at the Athletic, and then he tweeted like a link to a story. Um, he's got one for a whole bunch of teams. I scrolled. I don't know that he did Winnipeg. I think he only did a few. So uh, I guess we got to hold up the Winnipeg end for him. Well, I'll tell you what. I think you're. Um, you got a pretty good start there. I mean, yeah, I, you... I feel good about it. I mean, any team like Hellebuck at 37 for a jersey number makes it a little bit tough. But if you can fit him in, you're doing well. If you can fit in peak Blake Wheeler at number 26, um, I think that's a good start. These are fun. You know what? I mean, this just speaks to where we're at right now in the off season yeah. because we're cranking out math equations involving Jersey numbers. And for the past month, with the exception of that Carlson trade, we basically just been doing Pakdoku every day. <laughs> I mean, there is that. I did get to use Atlanta Thrashers slash uh, Edmonton Oilers legend Marty Reasoner uh, yesterday. That made oh. me happy. I, I love when Jets, Oilers, Thrashers, like anything Coyotes align. I, I feel like that's kind of my wheelhouse. Um, we did have that Jeff Petrie to Detroit blog poster, guys. There, there was that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, you know what? Just, just quickly on that, what do you make of Montreal's role in all of that? Um, you know, they get a second-round pick, and yeah, they're eating a bit of salary. They also got rid of Mike Hoffman, and that seemingly was one of their main priorities in this offseason. I, mean, I thought it was a really fascinating deal, very creative by Dubas. I thought San Jose maybe would have liked to get a little bit more, but, I mean, they made their decision. A lot of it was financial. But what did you think about, in particular, Kent Hughes' role in all of that, obviously including the subsequent Petrie trade to the Wings? Yeah, first of all, just the very idea of a three-team trade in the NHL, I mean, that shows a level of creativity that you don't always see from NHL GMs. Um, the idea that you could eventually get Montreal out of the Hoffman deal or that, you know, Eric Carlson just had a season for the ages. So I don't know that that was as terrifying, but there have been in his case in Hoffman in that secondary deal. These are contracts that, you know, you're not supposed to be able to trade or we keep hearing about that. And yet GMs continue to find ways to do that. And yeah, maybe it needs a third team. I don't know. I don't know what the Montreal-Toronto relationship is like. Do you think if Dubas was still in Toronto trying to acquire Carlson, needed a third party, and Montreal was involved, is that a deal that gets done? Good question. <laughs> like, are they that, like, you know, Calgary and Edmonton have made trades over the years, but that's more of a recent thing. So I, I, I don't know. I just appreciate the creativity, and I think it goes to show that, you know, there is no such thing as a completely untradeable contract if you get everybody together and get creative with it. You know, uh, it just made me think. It would be really interesting to see if there's uh, any deals between Pittsburgh and Toronto at any point this season and what the relationship between Treleving and Dubas, who I think are both very competent GMs, and I think at the end of the day they'll put anything aside if they think it makes their teams better. But you know damn well that if there ever is a Leafs-Pens trade, that one will be scrutinized maybe more than any in the league the entire year. Yeah, that's one where you, you know, quadruple check your I's and T's and all that that sort of stuff. If Dubas is the robot that he gets accused of being, he won't write Toronto off as a, you know, as a trade partner. But, uh, you know, everybody's a person, too. And uh, whatever, whatever fireworks, you know, that would be fun. Hockey should be fun. And in August, we can dream of stuff like that. Um, you know, I, listen, it's funny. And Schickster and a couple people keep on slamming the three-team trade 
ideas in our chat right now. Um, listen, I mean, we've talked before about Mark Shifley's situation, in particular the Boston Bruins' need for a center. As it stands right now, I mean, especially with Brandon Carlo, in all likelihood having the Jets on his no-trade list of the teams that he can't be traded to, I'm at a loss. I can't think of anything that makes sense, especially while Connor Hellebuck is still a member of Winnipeg. Um, but, I mean, is is there a possibility? Does something like what we saw a couple weeks ago from those three teams make it more likely that maybe there is something completely out there that we're not thinking of that, you know, could be a part of, um, you know, a way to improve the Winnipeg Jets and get some value from Mark Shifley before, um, before he's a free agent? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I mean, you know, I think a lot of us have pointed at Boston throughout the summer as a team that, you know, assuming Bergeron and Krejci retired, which they did, um, would need help at center. And you start squinting and you start going through all of the, the possible trades. And, you know, I wrote about that at The Athletic this week, and folks should je- definitely check that out. Um, the more you get into it, the more difficult it is to make a two-team trade. And you, you reference, you know, no movement and no trade clauses. Boston has just a freakish number of players on no trade clauses or no movement clauses. Uh, Winnipeg will be a part of some of those, to be sure. You also have the fact that, you know, where whoever Boston is trading with, they've literally just set a record for most wins by an NHL team in a season uh, ever. And I know that, you know, games played, there's era adjustment, all that. But there's an argument to be made that they are among one of the, they're coming off of one of the best seasons in NHL history. Who's in a hurry to leave that? So then you start looking at players who don't have no moves. And, you know, there's, you know, Grizzle Chick or Jeremy Swayman, I think would be the most appealing uh, targets on that front. I know, um, I guess Jake DeBrusque would be another. You start squinting, you, you try to put those things together. And it's tough to find that a Shifley for one of them type of match. So then you wonder about third-party teams. And, you know, credit to Winnipeg in certain situations. They've retained salary at times. They've gotten other teams to retain salary. They've juggled all sorts of conditional draft picks. But I think that this type of three-team trade might be beyond my expectations of the Winnipeg Jets. I think Boston's probably heading into the season because they're not shocked by this. They, they've known for a minute that Krejci and Bergeron were going to retire. I am sure of it. Um, I just, I can't find it. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's for darn sure. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I mean, I can't find how they're going to replace Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci on a team that still has a ton of talent and not go way, way back from where they were last year. And, you know, whether it's a Lindholm or whether it's a Shifley, and you obviously touched on both of those in the piece in the athletic would be possible. I mean, you have to give something up to get a player of that caliber and, you know, as you sort of laid out, especially for Winnipeg. But listen, I'll put Calgary in the same situation. I mean, these smaller market Canadian teams, I mean, they're not looking for a guy with one year left on their contract. I mean, look at the L.A. deal as a sort of a blueprint. The Winnipeg Jets trading a player uh, and getting players back that are not free agents at the end of this season. Obviously, there was significant team control with Velarde. Two more years with Ayafalo. And then a younger player in Kapari who is, I don't want to say a throw-in, but you know maybe less of a centerpiece of those deals. That's what both of those teams will be looking for, I'm sure. Yeah, listen, you want players that can contribute and can keep you competitive, but you also don't want to be going through this again 
um, later on. And that's why, you know, a guy like Jake DeBrusque, people throwing out, well, he's a free agent. Like, just the contracts where everything lines up, there, to me, there's just not much of a fit. And then, of course, there's Connor Hellebuck. I mean, there is part of me that thinks that with all of the discussions on both of those players that happened going into the draft and everything that went down in Nashville, those trades were so linked together that they almost have to happen at the same time or be part of a bigger deal. And, you know, without one, it's hard to do the other, especially with a team like the Bruins. Yeah, it's a situation where if you are going to trade Connor Hellebuck and Mark Stifley, you know that you are out an elite goaltender and a number one center. And, you know, wherever you rank those players compared to their position, they are number ones, like a number one center with strengths and weaknesses, to be sure. Maybe not the second or third best center in the world like Connor Hellebuck would be in that. But those are substantial holes. And the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade is a really good example of a template for what Winnipeg would want in terms of young players with team control. A Velarde, for example, happy birthday to him today, uh, is a good bet. He's the kind of bet you'd like to see a team make. Um with Dubois going to L.A., he would have had years in that extension, which makes that a little bit more valuable, et cetera. There's, there's, some, there's some quibbles. But if you are moving Hellebuck and Shifley, you need to end up with forward help, ideally at center, and goaltending help. Because Winnipeg, Dom DeVincentis is the only goalie who has a contract with a dollar figure associated with it next season. Hellebuck doesn't, Brassois doesn't, uh, Salmonen is a restricted free agent. He's not NHL help anyways. But you need that to happen. And I think that we've gotten to, to August, um, at, you know, August 16th as we are. That's why I don't expect, you know, sudden blockbusters on the Winnipeg Jets front. I do think that both players, if Winnipeg can afford to part with them, depending on how things are going, are really appealing deadline day rentals. And if you look at a team like Boston, who's moved heaven and earth to get within pennies of the cap every year, they trade away all their draft picks, they trade away all their futures, and they end up with, you know, get one more score at the deadline every year. That's when I begin to imagine a Shifley possibility making sense for them, uh, irrespective of how Winnipeg season is going. Well, and, and you know, the Bruins signed a, a prospect uh, today, John Farinacci. I'm not sure whether he's going to sort of, you know, fit into their plans, whether he's an NHL player. Um, but man, I mean, without those guys, I mean, Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka are probably your one-two guys. And those guys are very, like, legitimate NHL players. But I mean, those guys were playing further down in the lineup. What that does to the rest of the group and who's ready to who's ready to step up. I mean, the other guys that are even listed as centers. I mean, of course, Morgan Geeky's probably got a great opportunity to go in and establish himself on that, what, two-year deal at $2 million after being not qualified by Seattle. And then uh, just Jesper Bokvist, Patrick Brown. Bottom line is, I mean, you can certainly, and we're going to talk to Zig about this a little bit later on. But as far as the Jets go, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we're not expecting a lot to happen before training camp, although maybe we should be. If there is a deal, if Kevin Sheveldayoff does make a move before the deal, uh, before uh, the you know camp gets going, what to you is the most likely scenario for that? I'd have to think it had to have something to do with the blue line, actually, more than Shifley or Hellebuck. That's where he's left a little bit of wiggle room. Even even if you take him at his word with the verbal and all of that sort of stuff, I mean, Sheveldayoff has never been the most willing to walk you through his plans necessarily. But when you and me were sitting beside each other at the draft, I mean, he did seem to leave the door open for clearing a defenseman at this, you know, heading into the season. Um, certainly he's still, 
needs to sign Stanley and Chisholm, um, or sorry, Stanley at this point. Is Chisholm signed? Why am I blanking? No, no, I, think, I, I think he needs a deal too. Both of those okay, players are still. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So he still needs to sign both of those players, and certainly that they'll have an impact on the on the logjam in this situation there. Um, you know, you get into scenarios where you're trying to waive somebody at training camp and hoping that Chisholm will go through or something like that. It's it's a little bit awkward. Chevaldeov has left the door open for that. There are teams who probably could use that that kind of help. Um, the simplest thing he can do, which is kind of what we've watched so far in, in Jets history, is is kind of nothing, to be honest. And, you know, waiting until somebody gets hurt or doesn't, buying himself some time that way, or waving somebody like Chisholm, perhaps, or Capobianco, if need be, if he can't move somebody before that. But one way or another, whether it's as simple as that or as complicated as an actual trade involving, you know, an NHL roster player, um, that's, I think, I'm with you. I think that's where you're more likely to see movement. Well, and, and, and you know what? It's fascinating. I mean, it's like right now, as we talk about the defense core, Stanley and Chisholm both are, you know, if they're sent down or anything like that, they're available on waivers. And I think there'd be takers for both of those players. You've got that top six that includes Dylan Sandberg for last year. You've also got Kyle Capabianco. And that's before we even mentioned Billy Hanel. And I'll say this. I mean, that young man certainly has his work cut out for him because as it stands right now, I'm not even sure what he could do in training camp and in the preseason to earn a spot on the roster. Never mind in the top six right now. And that is a, uh, I mean, listen, that's a tough position for a young prospect to be in. And I don't think it's actually ideal for, you know, a team that, you know, was built on drafting and developing. I mean, at a certain point now, listen, it's on him to prove that he belongs, but I guess my point is that I think he could do that. And I still don't think that unless something happens, there's a spot even to compete. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. He is in a less than ideal position. Uh, the fact is, in, in the scheme of Winnipeg Jets issues and items, he's a relatively small fish. So they're not going to move heaven and earth just for him when they can send him to the moose without risking waivers. But that's, you know, we've talked it, we've talked about this. It's not an ideal situation. For me, when you talk about player development, you want to put players at a level that challenges them to solve problems um, that doesn't become so easy that, that they're developing bad habits um, that isn't so hard they couldn't possibly tread water. And I think it, for him, at the AHL level, he is too good for it offensively. He is an elite offensive player at the AHL level. He's not learning new tricks. He's not solving new problems. He's solved what he can solve. I, I think that in terms of his next steps development-wise, it's physicality. It's getting the puck out, um, You know, winning the race to the puck in the corner, fending off somebody, uh, battling in front of the net. And he's a gamer. He's a, you know... He gets compared to Sami Niku in that he's an offensive Finnish defenseman, but he has such a better sense of positioning and compete than Niku did. He's just small. Um, and I think that the only thing for him to do is to play against bigger players while exploiting his strengths at the NHL level, ideally at a third-pairing role. But like you said, there is no room for him. So, I mean, do we look at this in a year and look at all the extra bad habits he's de you know, developed? Uh, it's certainly an awful position to be in. The one thing that I'll say is if he can survive all of that, if he can keep a good attitude, which he has so far, if he can maintain that competitiveness, 
We were talking about Dylan Sandberg a couple of camps ago as not having a hope of breaking into the top six because Logan Stanley was in his way. If if Hainala can survive as an as a prospect until a year from now, we may yet see him in, in Winnipeg's plans. I just can't see it yet. Well, uh, um, you know, and, and Murad Attach of The Athletic is with us. And as we talk about the, the blue line situation, it's sort of a neat segue into one of your other pieces. We talked about the best contracts on the Jets. You crunched the numbers and talked about, you know, some of the, the worst contracts on the list. And th- these numbers are not going to surprise anybody. I mean, Nate Schmidt and Neil Pionk are one, two in the list. How would you compare those players and those deals, Murat? Um, because I mean, both of them bring different things to the lineup. Certainly, Pionk, I think, has played at a higher level and played higher up in the lineup, albeit, you know, at a very similar number right now. Um and I think the fact of the matter is that both of those contracts ending up on that list make them very, very difficult to move, which sort of compounds the challenge for the general manager right now to to navigate this with the assets that he has on his blue line. Yeah, I don't think that they're appealing trade assets to work with for sure. Um, that's that's one item to definitely touch on. Another is they're inefficient contracts. If you If you look at what they produce and where they play in the lineup, Neil Pionk is a sort of a second pairing defenseman who hasn't been an exceptional top four defenseman for a couple of years. Actually, since bef- probably before his injury with Jason Spezza involved, you can divide his season basically before and after that injury and watch his numbers dip in terms of shot attempts and you know where scoring chances happen on the ice. But it's been a while since he's been that guy. So you're not getting a lot of value for, for, his, uh, for his contract at the, at the spot that he plays. But he does produce enough offense in certain situations where it's not negative value. This isn't, it's a, it's a bad contract at this stage, assuming he plays exactly as he has in the last year and a half or so. But it's not one of those absolutely grotesque albatrosses. Nate Schmidt, at his contract value to play in a third pairing role, that is, that is rough to move. I don't think you're, you're finding you know, anything there uh, what, whatsoever. He does because third pairing minutes are easy easier, pardon me, compared to top four, deliver some value as well. And if you're Winnipeg looking at the market, even if you've considered it, I think they're a pretty loyal club. Uh, You know, Neil Pionk was an enormous part of their plans, at least at one point. I think that they're probably doing their best to bank on some kind of resurgence on that front, uh, specifically in Pionk's case, or at least like waiting waiting it out and, and all of that sort of stuff. So they're two inefficient contracts. They're certainly not good. Um, and, you know, barring those types of moves, I mean, it's just, it's a little bit sad to look back at a couple of years in a row of Pionk being a top four defenseman or like three or four years in a row of Nate Schmidt in Washington and Vegas being, you know, a top two defenseman or what have you and realize Winnipeg's not getting value for what they pay them right now. Well, you know what? I mean, just to use a bit of a baseball analogy, uh, I was backing Kikuchi of the Jays going into this season after he had a dreadful year last year, and he has bounced back and been a huge reason why they've had success this year. And I have to say, I'm not sure there's a single player that could affect the fortunes of the Jets more getting back to where he was a couple years ago than Neil Pionk. And listen, I personally, I'm not ready to write him off. I mean, if you had an opportunity to move that contract and it made sense for the club, absolutely. Um, but, I mean, listen, Neil Pionk has produced. I thought he was really good in the playoffs, and frankly, I thought he looked better in the last sort of month of the regular season as well. So 
if that can be a trend going forward, I think that contract looks a lot better. And the bottom line is the ice time that he inevitably will get from Rick Bonus um, will help the Winnipeg Jets more than at times, especially in their own end, hurting it last year. Yeah, and that was you know that was a curious situation for sure. Pionk played a little bit coy with me when I kept trying to ask, like, are are you playing through something? Are you playing through something? Eventually he tells me, well, it come on, it depends what you mean by playing through something, you know? And I believe that his mobility was impacted last season. I know that he broke his foot. I believe he broke his foot the previous season, played through a, a crack or a fracture, you know, that he didn't tell anybody about until the season was over, or at least tell media about, I should say. And so you keep... You keep waiting for that pop and that movement and that mobility, especially defending Winnipeg's blue line and, and tracking Winnipeg's zone end. You keep waiting for it to look like it did when he was playing exceptionally well for the Winnipeg Jets. And I haven't seen that until that last stretch and then the first few games of the playoffs. I didn't like his you know first shift uh, in game five, but I mean, that was a bit of a train wreck for absolutely everybody. Um, so... I'll tell you this, you know, Winnipeg's not getting enough for what they pay him, at least in recent history. The swing in quality of Winnipeg's blue line is enormous if he can reclaim what he what he originally hit for Winnipeg. I haven't seen enough over a long enough stretch to think that it's about to happen, but I keep waiting. I still keep waiting for this return to health that I believe is is on the way or what have you. And I think we'll know it count. Like Josh Morrissey's resurgence was obvious to me at camp. He had pop, and if you just watched him isolated, you knew two seasons ago he was going to take a step forward. I haven't seen that same thing from Neil Pionk, and that's one of the stories to watch uh, from from day one that they hit the ice uh, in in Winnipeg. Well, you know what? And just but, you know, before we get back to this article, let me throw out the why not question of the day to everyone with us in chat for uh, not AutoCorp overly at Waverly and McGilvery. Um, who is your candidate to be the big bounce back player uh, or, or maybe take a, a big step forward? Um, not necessarily had a down season last year. Um, and who do you think can help the team the most if they do take that next step? I'll throw Pionk out there, but there's certainly a number of number of candidates up front, especially with the loss of Pierre-Luc Dubois, and the uncertain future of Mark Shifley. Let us know in the, uh, in the chat. Murat, speaking of centers and forwards, the other guy that ended up on that list, I think probably might have surprised some fans when they were reading it was Adam Lowry. Yeah, and Adam Lowry, my goodness, because of the hard way he plays hockey, he has so many fans. Like he plays right, right? Like the amount of commitment, you wouldn't question him shorting a shift for, for a second. And you look at him and Brendan Dillon dropping the gloves against Minnesota heading into the playoffs. You look at the five goals Lowry scored in the playoffs. I mean, you wanted somebody to do things right and, you know, have that pushback and all of that. Adam Lowry was the guy. Um, you also have relatively recent history with, you know, that cop Lowry Tanev line the, in 2017-18. You got pro on that line the, the year after a little bit. And you can point to genuine periods of Jets history where he played against tough opposition and he didn't just shut them down, but that his line scored too. Winnipeg controlled the flow of play. And you saw Winnipeg in the minutes that Lowry played win those shifts. Well, there were a couple of seasons after that that are in recent history where that hasn't happened as much. And one of the big reasons for it is, I mean, there was, I think it was a 2020 season or perhaps a 2021. He had uh, an upper body injury and there was a little bit of him coming way off his game. 
Um, he's found it since. There's also a line mates question. And when you're trying to solve defensive issues by playing Zach Sanford and uh, Christian Veselainen and what have you on Adam Lowry's wing, that's not a recipe for success. So with him making the money that he does, the bottom line is Winnipeg has to win those minutes. It's not enough to play the right way. It's not enough to have intangibles. It's not enough to drop the gloves. You need defense and offense, a little bit of offense to go with, with top-level defense. And it took until partway through last season. Last season was very good for him with Nino Niederreiter on his wing all of a sudden. Um, you know, that was, a, that was a real improvement before he started looking like a three-point-whatever-million player again. And Winnipeg is in a good situation heading into next season to give him good line mates like that again. So I think he looks rough metrics-wise. Erase the intangibles. Just look at the data over the last two seasons or so because the offense had faded and Winnipeg hasn't always outscored its opposition. But he started to get better line mates and produced more. And I think there's a reason to believe that's going to continue this season. And I mean, of course, he had that crazy scoring drought in the middle of last season. Uh, which will factor into all of this. Um, but let's face it, when this team was on the ropes um, in the last 15 games of the regular season, Adam Lowry was amongst their best players, was producing at a high level and carried that going on into the playoffs. And then there, of course, is all the other intangibles. And it was funny, yesterday's why not question of the day was um, about the next captain of the Winnipeg Jets. And this is something that we've kicked around for a while. And it's interesting to see how people feel I mean, if we, I mean, listen, I sat on the program after the Morrissey game against St. Louis last year, slap the C on him right now. What are we waiting for? And then by the end of the season with that Minnesota game, with the way Adam Lowry played in the playoffs, I was sort of like, oh, maybe I'm leading Lowry. We put it out to people yesterday and it was basically a dead heat. Lowry was ahead for most of the afternoon. And I think at the end, it ended up 48, 47 for Morrissey. I mean, listen, this is a coin flip if you ask most Winnipeg Jet fans. Where are you at, uh, you know, middle of August right now? If you had to, you know, lean one way or the other, who do you think gets the C? And do you think that happens before they drop the puck in Calgary on October 11th? I'll start there. I think it's gotta. I think after a year under bonus um, and now with Blake Wheeler out of the room, right? Like people were saying, well, they followed him as their leader anyways. And He's got a sizable personality. Of course they did. Like that, his impact wasn't necessarily going to go away. But he's not there anymore. And there's room to name somebody a captain this season. And I think that that happens at camp or maybe even just before. If you ask me, I did the same flop as you. I I watched that Morrissey-St. Louis game and I said, yes, like here you have an impact player who can rise to the moment, who can control play. He's a first-pairing defenseman. You, You know, you don't have to have an elite player be your be your captain, but it certainly helps, I think, sometimes, as long as he's up for it. Um, and I think that Morrissey would be a great choice. At the same time, I'm beginning to, to lean Adam Lowry as well. And, you know, part of that is that being the captain in Winnipeg in a market like ours with annoying media like me and otherwise, like, you know, there's a little bit of a cost that comes with being the face, the guy that gets asked about every good and bad thing. And when, you know, Winnipeg has a bad game and we don't know who to ask for you, you look to the letters and the leadership and the captain comes out. And, you know, I think Blake Wheeler wore the cost of that as years went by. If I'm just guessing, I bet both of those guys can handle that pretty well. But I'm guessing that that Adam Lowry's sort of like even keel stoic um, disposition is 
may be a bit better suited to absorbing the the rigors of, of what we give him uh, when Winnipeg is struggling. Well, it's funny you mentioned that. The one guy that I don't think does that very well is one guy that has an A right now. Uh, let's assume that Mark Shifley is with the club through training camp. Uh, it, does he still have an A next season, do you think? I think he's such an important player that if he's on the team, he's a big part of it. He's a, a vocal guy. He has strong impressions about the way the hockey should be played. Like, I, I think that you have to include him. You're not you're not going to win games with Mark Shifley in the lineup by by demoting him or, or I think excluding him from a group that he believes he should be in. The one thing that I would struggle to do without some kind of long-term extension or without some sort of assurances that he's had his Iserman moment that we daydream about, like, I, I don't think I would lean for the captaincy on him. Like, uh, I, I, I think when negative things have happened and, and you go to sort of how he's spoken about it, I think that, you know, you if he's going to get benched and sort of stew about it and, you know, complain about it through the media and things like that, that's his right. And like, of course he's competitive and actually I respect some of that, but I don't think you want him to be a front facing spokesperson of the good and the bad and the ugly um, moving forward. Yeah, no, I think that is a, uh, you know, that is a point well taken. Well, certainly lots for us to uh, kick around before uh, training camp gets going in a month. Marat, always great having you on the program. Uh, Have a great one. Enjoy what's left of the summer and we'll catch up. As uh, August rolls on next week. Right on. Thanks, us. Thanks so much. There's Murata Chess. Check out those articles in The Athletic right now. Interesting one. On a topic that we're going to get to with Zig for Cassie in a minute, what are the Boston Bruins going to do? Are any changes coming in Boston now that Bergeron and Krejci are gone? And, of course, we're going to have to touch on some NFL topics with Zig as well. Just before we do that um, we have to thank Princess Auto for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk, big sponsors of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and, of course, us here at Winnipeg uh, WST. Don't forget, uh, I guess a week Thursday, Bombers back in action at home. It is the Princess Auto game sponsorship. There'll be lots of great Princess Auto stuff at the game, but every game, two hours beforehand, it's time to get ready for Blue Bomber football at the Princess Auto tailgate party. 350 popping hot dogs, $5 beers, great entertainment. And I'm sure there'll be some nice swag there too. So make a point of getting out there before the game. Princess Auto, two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road, Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Um, if you have irrigation needs or are looking maybe for artificial turf for part of your property, you got to talk to Spicy Joe, the gang, all down a consolidated supply. Now, they've got much more than that, but that has been the bread and butter of their business for a long time, working with all the golf courses in Manitoba. They're also the exclusive club car dealer in Manitoba with both new, used, and custom golf carts from Club Car. Uh, but they've got other great options for your property as well, including hot tub spas and amazing outdoor kitchen options. And of course, they're the leaders in small engine parts and repair. So much consolidated supply can do for you. Pop down and see them at their showroom, open to the public, 1395 Niagara Road East, or find out more online at cte.ca. Uh, it's busy right now at Manitoba's number one sports superstore, Royal Sports, because hockey season is right around the corner, and Royal has been the hockey experts for over 40 years with hockey players working there to help you get the right fit and the right equipment for players of all skill levels and ages. Uh, but of course, there's much more. Well, we could finish up summer, soccer, baseball, softball, tennis, equipment, disc golf, bikes, and more. 
And of course, NFL season right around the corner. New merch coming in every day from all 32 teams. So get on down to Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway. And follow them on Instagram for the latest merchandise drops and sale information at Royal Sports Pemina. And the Blue Jays are back. Huge, huge win last night over the Phillies. Kikuchi, best ERA in the majors since the All-Star break with another brilliant performance. The Jays get it done. If you're looking for a great spot to watch the Jays tonight, or of course, maybe Elks, Ticats tomorrow, Bombers on Friday, it's always your local Boston pizza. Ice cold schooners, world famous BP wings and gourmet pizzas, and the latest from the BP feature menu. Staying in, order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, looking forward to this next segment. We welcome in from Sirius XM, NFL and NHL radio, the man, the myth, the legend, Zig Fracassi. Zig, what is up, man? How's your summer going? Hey, Hustler, it's been a minute. How you been, all right? You know what? It, it, we've had a great summer. The weather's been beautiful. Um, we had a great trip out to Nashville for the NHL draft. Saw that. We've done a bit of fishing, and uh, now... Unlike when I was younger in school, when I dreaded this last couple of weeks of August because I knew school was about to start, now I'm actually excited to actually get through these next couple of weeks to get to Labor Day and to get to NFL kickoff, NHL training camps, and the meat of the CFL season. So uh, we're on the verge of an exciting time, although it does, does seem to be uh, the wait. The wait's killing me right now, frankly. Yeah, although, you know, it's, again, we're only a couple of weeks away from the start of the NFL regular season, although anymore, I think it's now, I view it as an extended preseason because the way that we're seeing teams now holding back their starters for the most part, although we've had some uh, pretty bad injuries, uh, the report, I guess, Gage from Tampa, unfortunately, he's lost for the year. There's some concern now with Burks, uh, the young receiver from the Titans, uh, may have hurt himself significantly in practice today. But the point being is largely, Hustler, that they, you know, protect these guys. So any more to me, the regular season uh, really, to me, doesn't start until October. Even though the games do count, I, I think now we're looking at more of an extended preseason than ever. But still, it, it's a great time. And the NFL, as you know, rules everything. Hey, uh, you know, before we kind of get in, I want to ask you about, you know, a few interesting spots around the National Football League. Got to ask you about your Boston Bruins. Um, oh, yeah, it. something happened? Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, straight to the Hall of Fame goes Bergeron, one of the greatest players of this generation. David Krejci, who came back and contributed well to that m amazing season last year, is also done. Um Listen, they got Frederick signed. They've got Swayman signed. They're right around near the cap. I mean, are the Boston Bruins going to go into next season as is right now? Or do you think they might be sniffing around for some more help, particularly in the middle? Oh, well, they could be sniffing your way. You know, the I've heard more than one occasion that uh, Mark Shifley could be on their radar. Now, again, what the Bruins would have to give up for him would it be a Lysel? Would it be one of their top minor league type guys? Maybe a defenseman to go along with that. Uh, I don't see them going into the season as is. Uh, although Zaka showed a lot last year coming over in that trade with New Jersey. Uh, Charlie Coyle, I think ideally he's designed for the third line. So uh, do I see them trying to make a, a trade before the start of the season? I think it's entirely possible. 
As for Bergeron and Krejci, I mean, arguably one of the great one-two combos over the last 15 years. You saw that the Bruins had the most wins over that span. Three appearances in the Stanley Cup Finals and 11 championship. Three times also with the best record in the league. So that is a monumental gap to fill. But also to think that they're going to fall off the face of the earth, let's not go that far. You still have a core that features Marshan, Pasternak, Daka, McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm, and oh, by the way, that maybe the best goaltending tandem in the league of Swayman and Linus, even though Linus didn't look good, he was injured in the playoffs last year. That's still a pretty good six or seven guys to build around. So for those shoveling dirt on the Bruins, I'd slow the roll on that just a little bit. Yeah, and obviously they traded Taylor Hall as well. Yeah. The big thing for us Capital. when we look at when we look at you know the two rosters right now, and especially with it being post July one and Brandon Carlo's ten team no trade kicking in, I, mean, I think Carlo would be a player. You know, he has signed for four years. That would have been a player that I think the Jets would have been really interested in. I would doubt that that's even a possibility. And you look at the rest of these teams right now, Zig, and I had a real hard time seeing a fit that makes sense for the Winnipeg Jets to pull the trigger on a deal like that and not wait to see what happens as we go through the season and maybe closer to the trade deadline. But that doesn't help the Bruins right now if they can't get something done. No, it doesn't. Um, And that's why, you know, I still believe it was a little bit of a surprise that they wound up keeping both goaltenders. Uh, Obviously, they do think a lot of Swayman, but it had to go to the arbitration process because they were so tight. People forget, why are they so tight? Well, you got to remember... They brought back Bergeron and Krejci on those cheap contracts last year, but they achieved incentives, hence overages for this year's cap. So now you're $4.5 million that you don't have. And unless they somehow find an injury to somebody that put them on long-term IR, they are what they are. Although, you know, do they move on from a Forbert? You know, maybe do a Taylor Hall type move, basically rid themselves of the contract get nothing or next to nothing in return. I think that's a a scenario as well. But, uh, hey, that's the way the NHL is. There's a lot of other teams hustle that they'd like to have some more room, but the cap simply hasn't gone up. Maybe starting next year, there's a little more room, but still it's not a whole lot compared to what it could be. Yeah, and at that point, I mean, obviously, I I didn't mention the goaltenders, but, I mean, the big talk that we had in Nashville and around it would be, you know, with the talk of Connor Hellebuck potentially being dealt by the Winnipeg Jets, then all of a sudden you've got a little bit more of a fit considering the two goaltenders that Boston has. Um, But as long as Hellebuck's still in Winnipeg, I mean, you can't make a deal like that to have one of those guys come in and play second string, not to mention what that does to Loren Brassois. So, listen, this next month, maybe we'll see something. I think once training camps get going, I mean, I think there'll be a little bit more buzz on it, but just how this Boston Bruins team and how management handles the loss of two guys that really are irreplaceable, to me, one of the most interesting stories in the National Hockey League offseason. And obviously, well, for obvious reasons, there's been a lot of smoke around the Winnipeg Jets with players that, you know, might be good fits there, but it's got to work both ways if a deal's going to be made. Oh, absolutely it does. And, uh, and oh, by the way, this just in, the Bruins were going to take a slip anyway because you're not getting 135 points again. You're not winning 65 games again. So there was going to be a built-in drop-off, but 
you know, you do remember, too, when Bergeron Krejci didn't play in that series against the Panthers, they did get up three games to one. So it's not like they don't have uh, some possibilities at center. And I'm intrigued. You know, everybody rails on them for having this barren farm system. But Kuntar, a kid from Boston College, Merkulov, a kid they added from Penn State, you know, they've been very good. They added another kid, Fantanacci, today, uh, who was an Arizona Coyotes draft pick. Don Sweeney, Jamie Langbrunner, and them, they, instead of going through the draft here, Hustlerana, they basically now have gone the U.S. collegiate route, try to fortify their roster. So a couple of those guys could make some uh, overtures once training camp rolls around. The kid uh, uh, in the OHL, Harrison's another guy. So Bruins, I think, do have some young depth at center. Whether they think it's ready for the varsity this coming season, that'll be another story. Zig for Cassie's with us. Uh, you know, he had to hit on the Bruins, but uh, let's hit on the National Football League. And uh, listen, while we're staying in New England, what's going on with the Patriots? I mean, they signed Zeke Elliott. Yeah. Bill Belichick never totally seems enamored with Mac Jones. He loves the older players, though. Um, and this division is, I mean, a meat grinder now. It had been a joke for a long time, but you got a Bills team that's a Super Bowl contender, a Miami team that I think, when healthy, certainly can contend, and a Jets team that is completely different with, you know, a Hall of Fame quarterback now. What uh, What's on Bill Belichick's to-do list through camp, and can the Patriots contend in that division this year? Yeah, that's going to be something, because I think that and maybe the AFC North, arguably, or make a comment about the NFCs too. Those are arguably the best divisions uh, in the National Football League. It, it was obvious that the Patriots needed to do something uh, with their backfield. They had lost Damian Harris in the offseason. Uh, Sony Michel, uh, you know, he had been with them. Then he went to the Rams. He retired after a short career. James White, recent Super Bowl hero. He's actually doing some shows on NFL radio with us. So, uh, there's been a, a bit of a transformation in that backfield. And uh, Bill's always a guy that I, I think likes Big Ten players. Obviously, Zeke thrived at that level at Ohio State. And I, I think at this point of his career, he's probably looked upon more as a mentor. Let's not forget, even though Zeke's numbers went down, he was dealing with a knee injury. He still is very good as a pass blocker. He's still decent enough as a as a receiver coming out of the backfield, and I think because the young backs they got up there in New England, I, I think it's a low risk, potentially a pretty significant payoff. I, I I like that addition. I had actually thought Zeke might come back to the Cowboys uh, on a cheaper level, but uh, the Patriots wound up uh, getting him. So, yeah, you're right. I, I think the uh, the reemergence of Bill O'Brien, the former Texans head coach, he had been. Uh, recently with Saban down at Alabama. I think that helps the offense. And I, I fell for Mac Jones last year. I mean, to have Matt Patricia and Joe Judge basically be your coordinators, Andrew, I think you have a better chance of being an offensive coordinator. That's how brutal that this was up there in New England. But I like just how did that even happen, Zig? Like Bill Belichick is the genius of this generation, arguably the greatest mm -hmm. coach ever. And then, I mean, was that just hubris by Bill that, oh, they'll find a way? Because, I mean, Matt Patricia, he's not that dude. No, he, he wasn't. And, you know, you get to a point, I think, in your career where he is Bill Belichick. He's entitled because a lot of people label that best coach ever on him. Although, 
the best coach ever is 500 without Tom Brady. So let's put that into a little bit of a perspective here. I mean, it's the reality. Think about it through time, Andrew, that uh, the, the great teams have won with great quarterbacks. Like the old saying is, if you don't believe me, look it up. So without Brady, uh, the Patriots have been an average franchise. But I do think they have more of an emphasis now on the skill. Everything I keep hearing and reading out of uh, New England is that they're um, – the athleticism has improved. Uh, they like their receiving core now uh, a little bit better. Although Gesicki, the former Miami tight end, he went down with an injury. Don't know how severe that that is. But if he's a healthy guy, I like that ad quite a bit. So they're giving Mac a, a few more targets to work with. Bailey Zappi, I think, was a flavor of the month for about five or ten minutes last year. Although I think he's going to push him. I think at the end, this is still Mac Jones's team. But I could see the Patriots being almost like the Commanders were in the NFC East last year, like a 500-ish type of team, but probably finishing last behind Buffalo, Miami, and the Jets in the AFC East. Don't forget, by the way, the Jets adding uh, Delvin Cook recently, too. That was a great ad for them. How high are you on the Jets? I mean, how much of a difference can Aaron Rodgers make to a team that, I mean, frankly, I thought their roster I thought their roster was legit last year. Their defense, their own line. I mean, they have a lot of things that good teams need, but they didn't have a quarterback, and now they've got one. Yeah, I would agree. Although I would say this, too. I think this might actually be a benefit for Josh Wilson to sit back and learn from a future Hall of Famer. You know, it's one thing from going from Provo, Utah, to the speed of the National Football League, and... (laughs) You know, admittedly, I think he was swimming quite a bit last year, and I I don't think he ingratiated himself well in that game against New England where they lost that late game. I think it was on a punt return for a touchdown, and the reporters asked if, you know, maybe he was the problem or holding the offense back, and he said no. Uh, I, I didn't think that sat well, but I think in the end, you know, the Jets did add some people in the offseason. Uh, the you know obviously Brees Hall returning from the injured list, adding Dalvin Cook to that backfield. Uh, apparently though today they were scrimmaging Tampa, and that defensive line of the Buccaneers was eating the Jets' offensive line for lunch. So I guess that's still a concern for them. But defensively, yeah, Quincy and Quinton Williams, Sauce Gardner, maybe the best young corner in the National Football League. I think the Jets are in the mix for a wild card spot. Although they're the way they start their schedule, the Bills and Cowboys among the first couple of games, their first five or six actually are very tough. So if they get through that, then I think the uh, gang green maybe has a chance to end along with the Buffalo Sabres, by the way, the longest playoff droughts currently by a professional team in North America, which is 12, 13 years now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the Jets are going to be able to get it done, but I'm with you. I think they're going to be in the mix, although that division is really tough. I do like your Buffalo mention, though. I think the I think the Sabers have uh, have it in them. I, I think they got a lot of talent. It is time they got to get it done, and be interesting to see that series. But speaking of teams that have been waiting for this moment for a long time, I'm not sure whether the Lions have ever been the favorite in the <laughs> NFC North. Literally ever, they are right now. Um, what do you make of Detroit coming into this season as the favorite in the NFC North and thoughts on whether it's the Packers or the Vikings or the rebuilding bears 
um, that pushed them the most for uh, that playoff spot in the division championship. Makes you want to go out and bite some kneecaps, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I kid around on that, Hustler, but Dan Campbell has done a lot in a short time in that organization. You know, the guy played the game. He always had that firebrand type of attitude to him, and he surrounded himself, I think, with some really good uh, assistant coaches. Uh, Aaron Glenn, I think, has got a possibility to be an NFL head coach before long. Mark Brunel, a guy I worked with briefly at the Sirius XM NFL radio, was brought in as quarterback's coach. So he's got some guys that have had success there. And then, you know, we saw this last year. They didn't start out very well. But then as the second half of the season wore on, Jared Goff started to look like the quarterback he was with the Rams when they got to the Super Bowl. The ground game definitely picked up. Uh, defensively, uh, they, they could use some work, although Aiden Hutchinson's, I think, a game wrecker. I think they've upgraded their, excuse me, they've upgraded the secondary this offseason. I think there's an expectation now, though, that there hasn't been probably since you got to go back to, uh, you know, with the Stafford and maybe Megatron era with the Detroit Lions. Think about this. One playoff win, was it since 1957? And that was back in 1991. This has been a long-suffering franchise. The only thing I'm concerned about, though, now, Hustler, they open with your uh, defending champion Chiefs there in Kansas City. Now people are paying attention. Now they are the target. Can they handle all that? I think that's why they're the, the en vogue pick coming out of the North this year. Obviously, with Green Bay starting over with Jordan Love, that's probably a reason the odds makers like it the way that it is. Vikings were a 13-win team last year, but when they lost, they got blown out, and they've made some changes. And like you talked about with Chicago, uh, they're on the ascent. Make no mistake about it. I like what the coach and GM are doing there, and I think Fields has a chance to be good. But I, I think they're another couple years away. So I could see the hype on Detroit. But how do they respond coming out of the gate, being the favorite now? Be interesting to see what happens in Motown. Zig, uh, you mentioned the Packers. Uh, are people sleeping on Green Bay because of the loss of Aaron Rodgers? Uh, listen, I think their defense um, will be able to keep them in a lot of games. And uh, listen, I haven't watched any of the training camp, but just the reports coming out. seems like there's some real optimism about Jordan Love. And, Hey, this is not a guy that just got drafted. I mean, he's been preparing for this opportunity for three seasons under Aaron Rodgers. Agreed. I, maybe they are. You know, again, the defense uh, isn't all that bad. Uh, you know, you've got, you still have some components. Uh, Aaron Jones offensively, obviously uh, Christian Watson and uh, Dobbs, a couple of receivers that it took maybe a little while for them to get going. But once they did, I mean, Christian Watson, uh, was an absolute demon the second half of last year once he started to find his rhythm. So maybe that's part of it, but you know as well as I do, it, it's going to take a little bit of time uh, if Jordan Love is indeed the guy there uh, in Green Bay. And if you ever notice the way he delivers the ball and the way he kind of moves his legs, it's like a shuffle a little bit, you could tell that he's been influenced by Aaron Rodgers quite a bit. So maybe... And maybe for Green Bay, maybe for Matt LaFleur, that's the way they like it. Let Detroit be the favorite. Let Minnesota have their hype. Let everybody pay attention to Chicago. We'll just fly under the radar, be ourselves. So may, I think you're on to something. Maybe people are sleeping on Green Bay, although I don't see them as being a serious contender in the NFC. I think a no. wild card spot, maybe. 
there, there's all there's always one or two teams Zig, that goes either worst to first or comes completely off the radar. Is there a team or two that, I mean, we don't think of as playoff contenders that you know you think might be on the verge of uh, surprising a lot of people this season? If if Desmond Ritter continues to make progress, Bijan Robinson comes in and be, becomes that impact back that the Atlanta Falcons think they are. Uh, they showed some traits last year. I, the lo- guys love playing for Arthur Smith. It, it's clear about that. It's a average to below average division. I think Tampa Bay's in some transition. Carolina, their offensive line still needs a ton of work. Uh, and then New Orleans, although you know I like some of the things that the Saints did in the offseason. But keep your eye on Atlanta. Uh, again, I think it's a good situation there. Uh, they've uh, revamped the defense a little bit, too. And uh, this is a team, like I said, young quarterback, but uh, they enjoy playing for uh, Coach Smith. And they were involved in a lot of close games last year. And if they they, they get Kyle Pitts going, I mean, this is a guy that they've badly misused uh, the last year, two years. They got to get him back into the offense a little bit more. If they're able to do that, Atlanta's one of those teams that, like, I'd keep an eye on them. Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Zig, who's uh, who's going to be taking the snaps for the Niners? Uh, Elvis Gerback? No. Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah, or maybe Steve Bono. Um, like boy, Lance, good... has sounded, Lance has sounded really up and down. And, yeah. of course, you got real questions as to when Brock Purdy's going to be ready to play. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and don't forget, you got Sam Darnold still around there. Uh, it could be Donald, couldn't it? It, it? Well, I mean, he's got starting experience, and, and you know, Purdy said all the right things in terms of he's making progress. In fact, what was it? I during I think in one of my updates, I played a clip from him saying that he feels almost next to normal, which is a great sign because he came along last year. Uh, it's been kind of a mixed bag, to be quite honest with you, with Trey Lance. I, I feel bad for the kid. Here was a guy who the Niners traded up to get, paid a boatload of capital to get him. And quite honestly, Andrew, he he only played, I think, one game in about a two-year span. Remember, it was back to COVID, and the kid had kind of his uh, growth stunted a little bit. Then you had the injury, so now he was out there. I thought he looked okay against the Raiders, although the people that were at the game told me that uh, – the Niners pretty much have Purdy as their starter. So if he's able to go in the opener, I would say Brock Purdy. And I think the Niners, who knows, maybe they try to, you know, get something pennies on the dollar, if you will, uh, for Trey Lance, because there's some people that believe he'll never be a long-term answer for the 49ers. Hey, Zig, just on the way out, I mean, I think everyone knows that Trevor Lawrence is the man in Jacksonville and is going to be the number one but how about that young Canadian Nathan Rourke oh. with uh, that play, <laughs> that play on Saturday night? We haven't stopped talking about it all week. No, no, and it was against my Cowboys too, so it made me chagrin. But I'll tell you, you talk about Houdini, man, was that a a wonderful play? And I I really liked him coming out last year. So um, yeah, I think he's got a good shot to to make it there. And he's also in a very uh, pass friendly offense. Doug Peterson, let's not forget. He was a quarterback in his playing day. And, oh, by the way, the quarterback the day Don Shula got the all-time wins record because I think it was um, 
Marino and Scott Mitchell were both hurt that day for the Dolphins. This was in Philadelphia back in 1993. So there's your useless trivia of the day. But the point being is I think Rourke's got a shot, just like I think, you know, I wonder if he keeps performing well for the Argos. The NFL teams maybe start revisiting Chad Kelly. Has he grown up a little bit? Has he matured? Not to digress too much on that, but still, you know, teams are looking for quarterbacks, Hustler, wherever they can get them, and who knows? Maybe there's a a redo there, but to Nathan Rourke, kid's got poise and a good offense. I think he has a chance to stick in Jacksonville. Zig, this has been so much fun having you on the program. Hopefully we can do uh, it a little more frequently as we get closer into the season. Uh, What's keeping you busy right now? Fill people in on where they can hear you do your thing. Well, we got uh, the updates two to three days a week on the platform of SiriusXM Sports Channel. So if you tune in to NFL Radio 88 or NHL Radio 91, you can catch me there. And then I do updates during uh, Christopher Mad Dog Russo on Channel 82. And then uh, once the season gets underway, we'll be doing Saturdays and Sundays on Channel 88, Sundays after Sunday night football. In fact, this week... We'll be on uh, preempted Saturday because there's a boatload of games on. But Sunday uh, with Alex Marvez, 1 to 5 Eastern on Channel 88, the SXM app. And you can always get me, too, at Zig Sports Voice on, I guess it's formerly known as Twitter. It's call it X now or whatever it is. Put up so. the X, Zig. <laughs> what are we, Des Bryant? There you go. Dante Hall back in the day. That's right. The Des as well. Hey, this has been so much fun, Zig. You be well. Can't wait to do it again during the season. Have a great one, and thanks for jumping on today. Andrew, anytime, my friend. Give Remus my best, too. I certainly, I certainly will. There he is, our guy, Zig Fracassi, jumping on the program uh, today. And uh, Oh, yeah, I mean, I was doing the lock shop today. We were doing the golf picks now that the golf playoffs are here, and tomorrow's going to be the CFL. I I am so excited. So excited just get to week one of the National Football League season and Lions Chiefs on the Thursday nighter, full Sunday, Monday night football. I mean, um, let's go. Only a few more dark Mondays before MNF is back uh, is back as well. Big thanks to Zig for joining us on the program. You know what goes great with football, folks? Beer. L- Winnipeg's favorite local beer, Little Brown Jug. If you really want to step your game up when uh, in the Suds department, I saw Russ Lowen mentioning there was an email out that there is a uh, little deal going on. I was trying to get clarity, but I believe it's a two four with twelve nineteen nineteens and twelve generics at a special price. Of course, the best place to go for that is downtown to the brewery and tap room on William Avenue, and that is going to be where we do. The next Little Brown Jug, Winnipeg Sports Talk, Sports Trivia Night. Here we go. The link is up and the link is live. I'm putting it in right now. There you go, folks. Uh, reserve your tickets and we will look forward to... Oh, waiters, preseason MNF next week? Right on. I am in. Um, it's Wednesday, September 13th, our third installment of WST Sports Trivia First two were phenomenal. And the first one we were able to do outside of that beautiful new patio. That is the plan for Wednesday, September 13th. So get your crew, especially all you teams that had great performances. 
the young rabbis, Real Deal Neil and his crew, and uh, let's bring out some new folks and have a great time. But space is limited, so just count yourself in. Grab tickets at the link right now, and uh, we'll see you at Little Brown Jug on September 13th. Speaking of the uh, upcoming weekend and uh, WST events, don't forget Friday night is the uh, official Blue Bombers watch party over at Hooters presented uh, by uh, the the gang over at Coors Light. There's going to be lots of cool things happening on Friday night, including, uh, I believe, some Bomber alumni, Bomber cheerleaders, and most importantly, you want to know, great stuff to win, swag to be given away, tickets, including, I believe, some sideline passes as well. It's all going to be there on Friday night. Get there early, though, because I have a feeling there's going to be a big crowd for this. So I'd suggest getting there by or before 730 just to make sure you are set up for 8 p.m. and kickoff. And uh, at your table, one per table, if you do mention uh, you came from Winnipeg Sports Talk, they'll hook you up with a free starter-sized fried pickles, which are really, really good. Friday night, let's do it. See you at Hooters for the official Blue Bomber watch party. And, of course, they'll have some specials throughout the night as well for everybody that attends. Um, I mentioned we did their golf picks today. BMW Championship begins tomorrow. Two more events in the FedEx Cup playoffs. We'll discuss that heading into the weekend. Of course, our golf reports always brought by Breeze, brought to you by Breezy Bend. Thinking about a great long-term home for you and your family at one of Manitoba's top private courses? Make it Breezy Bend. Get on the waiting list for 2024. Contact Corey Johnson at the clubhouse or go online for more on that at breezybend.ca. Of course, our thanks to our friends at Aikens Lake. If you're thinking about an incredible fly-in fishing trip right here in Manitoba where you can be on the water in less than two hours, Aikens is the place. Go to AikensLake.com for more information. Booking well into 2024 as well. And we'll give a shout-out and a good luck to the Gold Eyes, who are back in action tonight as they continue their road trip. Um, <clears throat> playing last night, real pitcher's duel. A quick one. 2 nothing loss in Sioux City. Kind of reminded me of that Tuesday night game last week. Continuing the series in Sioux City. Back next Tuesday at Shaw Park. Check the Gold Eyes website for upcoming promo nights and make sure to get up to the ballpark a couple times before the end of the season. All right, Remo, we've got a couple things to do. Um, and I believe the horse racing will get going tonight. What is interesting is that all of our bets from yesterday are still registered as open bets because the races didn't happen. But then when I look, so I kind of thought that we just had our same bets for tonight. But now when I pull up the Assiniboia schedule, it's a whole nother um, number all, of uh, number of races. All mine did get refunded from yesterday. <laughs> I'm looking Interesting. now. Maybe you're not on. Maybe you didn't get as lucky. Well, they're still, they're still. Oh, okay. There we go. I don't know. I guess I had to. I had to refresh or something like that. Uh, what do you uh, What do you have cooking in the uh, in the pick department? Yeah, I'm cu- I'm cooking some good good stuff here. Going with some past picks of mine, and I'm taking a page of your book later on with a nice triactor box. 
Um, race one here, I'm going with uh, horse one, Leah's on tune to win. I have won with Leah's on tune in the past. My wife's favorite horse, so we're going with Leah's on tune. Nicely done. Uh, I am starting off in race number two, and I'm going with a triactor box with going success. Amma's star, and one of my favorites that we've done before, Big Big Energy. Mm, I thought about that, Big Big that, Energy. You've you got to go with Big Big Energy, although it wasn't one of the, uh, wasn't one of the, uh, the, the program selections. <laughs> what, about, um, what about number three? You got I don't have anything that? till five, so if you've got three and four. Well, Pray for Peace. Pray for Peace is a really, really nice horse. We've seen him before. I'm not sure about this one. I think he was in the Derby, uh, Manitoba Derby last year, Pray for Peace. Yeah, definitely. One it's of a wit uh, horse. One of, the, one of the top. I like uh, I like Tarawat. Although Tarawat's had some tougher, some tougher runs. Like earlier this year, was it, was it number one? Link will roll in with Phantom Drop. CC's kitten and Terawatt. I guess those are the uh, those are the the, the um, those are the program selections, if you will. We'll throw those in on a uh, on a triactor box. What do you got for race number five? Race five. Uh, this is one of my favorite horses as well. Shooting money. Now look, I know shooting money. Leah's on doing their big favorites, but. Hey, they've won for me in the past. Uh, I'm a big shooting money guy with that 22.3 win percentage, although I think it's going to be tight between shooting money and drop a drop a caribou, but I'll go with shooting money. It was very tempted us on GoldenEyed, which I've bet on in the past, but I don't think I've won, and Club Champ is also a favorite, but shooting, I'm sticking with shooting money. I'm actually making two bets on this one. Okay. I'm putting a fin on shooting money to win, and I'm going to do a exacta box with shooting money and club champ. Yeah, I think so, I be- uh, I bet on club champ. It won at six furlongs earlier this year, and this race is done. five and a half. Though. Yeah, that's still re- relatively relatively close. Big race for uh, race number six, uh, nine. In the hopper for this one, viral is the favorite with rough customer, and then uh, and then finalize. I kind of like finalize the nine horse in this one. Yeah, well, that's why I has I went with a six nine exacta. Very nice right there with viral <laughs> and and finalize. So the six nine exacta box. It's the same either way if it finishes. Say you know the six horse first, then the nine, or the nine and the six. So uh, that's what I went for here. Viral and finalized. We're going viral. I always pick viral. Nicely done. And then uh, and then finally, race seven. Oh, and a few of our favorites in here. What up now? JT is there. Yeah, in on it. Know what I mean? And Tapature weighs the other one. I don't. I like NJ's brass. Maybe it's a five and a half. This is a uh, this is a shorter one. What? Do you have anything on this one? Yeah. Uh, what up? Okay, I'm doing a triactor box here. Uh, one four six. So what up now, JT? Know what I mean? And I'm throwing in a long shot one. This is the hustler move. Two favorites and a longer shot one. Uh, some would say. So some would say uh, I'm about to win 
this tractor box, right, Hus? Well, uh, that would be uh, that would be excellent. Uh, you know what? I am. This is weird. I, okay, I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'll do a similar one, but my other horse. We'll take what up now, JT. We'll take know what I mean. We're gonna go with the eight horse at twenty to one. Mermaid kisses. Mermaid kisses. So we'll see what happens if uh, if that can get in. So uh, there are picks tonight. As I say, hopefully. I mean, I think with this wind, it's likely that they will race. I was a little surprised last night that, they, that everything was canceled. Um, but the fact of the matter is there's um, there still is this smoke warning. So I guess there's a chance that these could be refunded. But um, you might want to just check before heading out to the track tonight with everything going on again. AS Downs live uh, over on the Assiniboia Downs YouTube channel is live at 6.45 with Kirk and Stretch. All right, let's get over to the Cool Bet lines. And, uh, oh, I was in a good mood last night. I, had, I was upset that we didn't have a lock shop because all of my picks came in yesterday, the ones that I was planning on giving out on the lock shop. How about my guy Kikuchi last night, Remus? <laughs> Just another brilliant, brilliant yeah. performance. 1.29 ERA. Since the All-Star break, best in the AL. Someone wrote in chat that you're just coasting on your preseason Kikuchi take. Like, you're just going to ride this one. You're texting, you're watching Kikuchi's wife's Instagram live (laughs) and commenting on it, too, you sent me. Writing, what did you write to her? That Kikuchi's on fire emoji tonight? Like, you're really another 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 fire performance from Yusei. You're on the number one in the Kikuchi fan club here that you're complimenting him on his wife's Instagram live. At least you're writing how great he is. You're not one of those guys who, you know, goes on and seeks out a player's family members on Twitter and then trashes them. I mean, that's the way to do it. It was it was funny. It was funny. I uh, I, I don't even know how I found out that that was on. But it was something I maybe I had followed her thinking that it was actually Kikuchi. But anyways, it was there and there was people. Obviously, they were mostly speaking Japanese. But I threw in with some props for the boss last night. And um, yes, the Blue Jays are back at it tonight, actually, as a, a bigger favorite last night. They were a home dog last night against the Phillies. Um, we've got Gosman on the hill against Aaron Nolan. Actually, an awesome matchup. Jays minus 141, Phillies plus 125. And I'll tell you what, man. I mean, the Jays have been so good outside of their division and especially in interleague play. And I think they've got one of their aces on the hill tonight. I kind of like them to keep going right now, although the Phillies are right there with the Jays in the overall standings. Yeah, it was a tough uh, matchup going up against Zach Wheeler yesterday, Aaron Nola, Phillies, Phillies ace. I'm a big Aaron Nola guy. Uh, he's one of the guys, you know, he's like uh, McKay at the horse track. I take him every every year in, in fantasy. So I think tough test here. I think we're it's becoming more positive on, on Bo Bichette. We're all waiting on his return. I saw what he was swinging, might have a rehab. He's going to a Buffalo for a rehab uh, assignment. So, you know, the he could be back very soon. So that was some positive news on the Jays I saw yesterday. Nicely done. Um, uh, most of the other series, I mean, Yankees just getting murdered in Atlanta. Here for all of it. Uh, and your Mariners almost blew it yesterday against the Royals. 
Well, they frankly did. I mean, they blew what an eight seven nothing lead, eight nothing lead, that ended up going to extras, but they did get the win. Um, so uh, they're they're minus two hundred tonight uh, to uh, to finish it off, minus one twenty eight on the run line against the KC Royals. As far as the CFL goes, Bombers are still six and a half point favorites for Friday's game. See at Hooters, 8 p.m. Uh, Elks, Thai Cats. Tiger Cats are five and a half point home favorites against the struggling Elks. The Alouettes are three point road favorites in Ottawa. And the BC Lions, Remus, nine and a half point favorites in Saskatchewan. Um, it has been a real listen. The Riders have the wins, at least. I mean, they're not where Edmonton is or even where Calgary is right now. But that was such an ugly performance against Montreal. You'd have to think they'll be much better. And maybe they'll be a good play this week, stepping up at home against BC, who's really been the class of the West along with Winnipeg. Yeah, these teams played earlier this year in BC, and the Lions won 19-9. to Although, I don't, think, uh, I don't think BC... Yeah, they had Dane Evans uh, at quarterback in this one. Vernon Adams is back, and... Uh, Mason Fine was a quarterback for the Riders, but he's but he's injured. So they're on to the third string now. Tough tough look here for the Rough Riders. It's been a tough season, honestly. Like um, you know, we've been making fun of the East Division for years. Um, you know, both calling them what the JV division, but you look at the West this year. You know, Calgary's up and down. Edmonton, we've talked a lot about how miserable season in Saskatchewan too. Usually, like what like the class of the CFL in terms of, you know, the organization, but they've taken a step back the last couple of years. All right. So. Okay. Um, obviously get on over to cool bet. All the lines are there full CFL lock shop tomorrow. And you can use the promo code WST. If you haven't uh, made a deposit already and they'll double it up to 200 bucks. Okay. Before we go, we tease this and then Naylor came in. We were talking to Marat. We want to get to the rest of your one-and-done team for the oh, Winnipeg Jets. Sure, and then do you want to reveal your one-and-done team tomorrow? Is that what you want to do? Uh, sure. Because sure, I yeah, gave you, because we're running out of time. I gave you my one-and-done team before the show, and you're like, well, this is great because my team is completely different than yours. <laughs> Everybody different. So, yeah, um, so finish up, finish up your – you had Tim Stapleton. Yes, Kevin Hayes and Lee Stepniak. Those are my forwards. And you kind of ripped me for having Stepniak because no, you said he's not you. a I real said, Jet. I didn't, I didn't pick. I, I picked guys that were more than just trade deadline acquisitions. But he, they, said, he certainly fall, qualifies as one and done. You said he wasn't a real Jet because he only played 18 games, which is fine. I didn't know there was criteria. Um But this is the guy. It's a very loose criteria. We Yeah, we didn't have like. I mean, there were some other guys who I didn't mention. Um, you know, we talked about Ponikarovsky in chat. You know, we mentioned the reason why this came up is because Sam Gagne is signing a PTO, or there's a report he's signing a PTO with Edmonton. He was a one and done, and Evgeny Svechnikov going in the KHL. I don't have those guys, but the one guy I did have, uh, Luca Spiza. Uh, he was a solid uh, defenseman uh, with the Ducks, Canucks. He was on Vegas, Islanders, and the Jets. Uh, played 44 games in 19. 19- 20, 10 points, two goals, eight assists. I think he was a solid D. And then they lost him on waivers uh, to the Nashville Predators. He played one game with them and was out of the league. Uh, Lucas Spiza, uh, the, was he, uh, Italian defenseman listed from Italy? Crazy. Yeah, 
and he li- he liked it here in Winnipeg too. He spent a lot more time around here than um, many of your guys. But yeah, once you get picked up, it was uh, it was bye bye. Got a chance to go to Nashville, and then was pretty much it in the uh, in the national uh, national okay. hockey league. Who were your defensemen? I'll say it's listed. Yeah, listed. He's born in Italy, but yes, he played for Switzerland in international tournaments. But his birthplace listed as that guy. God, that didn't sound right to me. Uh, Nino Kurenjet also uh, from Switzerland, and the other D. And this is a guy who, when you he's caught on, he played on like the greatest regular season team of all time last year in Boston, and I think a lot of Jets fans are kind of surprised at the success he's had in two years with the Bruins. Derek Forbort, 56 games with the Jets in 2021. I mean, what is he, solid, big, third, second, third-pairing D, two goals, 10 assists, 12 points. Um, I picked Derek Forbort. I think that's a pretty solid pairing for a one-and-done team. Now, those are real Jets, us, who played full seasons, not trade deadline. Well, I had, I had, I had Forbort on the team, mm-hmm. and... Um, and you know it's funny. Svechnikov probably should be on my team, like as far as like he was better and produced a little bit more. I may as well give these out right now while we're doing it, just because Forbert's already done. If I add Forbert. My other defenseman was just—I mean—a personal favorite, both for interviews and his Twitch streams. Great locker room oh, guy, yes, Anthony Potato. He was Potato was one and done. And actually did play a lot more here than he did when he uh, moved on to uh, to greener pastures. So uh, I had Forbert Potato. I could maybe replace Forbert with another guy. My uh, Oh, did you say who your goalie was? No, I didn't. But I'll say this. Like, I tried doing these one-and-dones, and, and it, there were so many more options for Forbert. There really wasn't a lot for D and goalie. But I told you my goalie, and you're like, I don't have that goalie. And I was like, well, who else could you possibly have? Yeah, and who did you take? I took Steve Mason as a goalie because there's nobody else. Is there what not? What about Big Save Dave? Oh, jeez. <laughs> You're right. Big I... Save Dave is definitely, definitely, he had a few a few good moments. So, Big Save Dave Riddick is my goalie. Forbert and Potato. Okay, who are your forward? Um, listen, I, I did not, I, I we could have gone with, we could have gone with Svechnikov and maybe he deserves to be there. But I did put on Saku Menelainen, who is now one and done from last year's Where team. is he now? He's not here. That's true. Did he sign anywhere? I actually haven't heard about We haven't had Saku. Anything. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't put him on the team just yet. I mean, there's always there's always the potential he could be. So we'll, we'll go with Svechnikov, but I do hold Saku. I think it was going to be one of those two guys. Obviously, Axel came back, so... Doesn't look like Saku's in the mix. Ishaboy Bruce mentioned this guy in chat. And what you want to talk about one and duns. Maybe one of the most notorious one and duns in Jets history. Devin Setaguchi, who came in at a significant price, a second round pick, uh, played 75 games, did not much, and ended up basically getting kicked off the team in the final week and told, thanks, but no thanks, don't come around anymore. Was dealing with some um some tough issues off the uh, off the ice but he was on it and then this final guy this final guy Remus I'll be honest I went through this and we, he did not do anything special when it came to putting up points 
but he played 52 games in a season for the Winnipeg Jets. And I'll be honest, I have absolutely no recollection of any of those 52 games. But rounding out my one-and-done team, did you even remember that this guy was a Winnipeg Jet? Who's this? Gabriel Bork. Oh, I only did because... I only did because when they signed Gabriel Velarde in the chat, people were like, is this the first Gabriel on the Jets? And I was like, no, they had Gabriel Bork. So, I mean, do I remember anything that he did? Or No, but like that's a lot of games. So that's an interesting one. And Gabriel Bork was in that weird season um, that ended up getting well, basically shut down by COVID, 1920. I could just, I still couldn't believe he played 52 games that year for the Winnipeg Jets. Two goals, four assists, six points, and then finished up by the last couple seasons with the Laval Rockets. So anyways, one and done. So we'll have some more fun with that going forward. Who did we miss? Let us know okay. in the chat. Hit us with the tweet. So we did. I'll change mine to Chris Mason from Steve Mason. Uh, I thought first of all, I thought that maybe he had played more, but he played 11, 12. He had people in chat. He shout out to his sick Iron Maiden mask. Yep. Another iconic Jets moment. Uh, Chris Mason was part of where Lars Eller got a hat trick on a four. He got his fourth goal of the game on a hat trick and finished it off by sitting on Chris Mason. That was. For whatever reason, I've been mentioning the iconic moments that cause the most pain with Kevin Hayes. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Hayes. And Chris, and now with a Chris Mace. Every time I see Lars Eller, I think of that four goal game, the fourth goal on a penalty shot where he just bonsai, dro- or bonsai dropped uh, <laughs> Chris Mason. And we're looking at, there are a lot of debate. Kevin Stanland, you could pick. He is one and done. He did sign with Florida. And a lot Stenny. of people, a lot I of love pe- Stenny. A lot of people in chat saying, um, Saku, wondering about him. According to Cap Friendly, he is currently unsigned. Uh, Taylor, Saku. oh my God, Taylor, thank you so much. Five bucks for the Bork content. Appreciate <laughs> Thanks, the super Taylor. chat. And great to see Taylor back in here. The uh, queen of Valor FC and the trench and one of the OGs of the Winnipeg Sports Talk chat. It is great to have the uh, world famous Taylor with us. World champion. Dodgeball, don't forget it. Um, all right, gang, that's going to do it for us. A little fun win, a little long. we got to get this uh, podcast up. We'll be back tomorrow. Should be a fun show. We'll actually head to Calgary. My guy Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet in Cowtown is going to jump on with us. We'll get a little more on, uh, you know, kind of talk some Jets flames, where things are at with the clubs, and get his thoughts on the stamps as they get ready to host the Bombers on Friday night. Uh, we'll also have... Rewiki jump on. I think Darren bombing as well. So it should be a real fun one. Or I think Darren's actually going to come in on Friday, but um, should be a good one. We'll have Brandon on. Maybe we'll get some one and done jets from, from Brandon. Um, and the latest, of course, from around the Canadian football league, NFL training camps, and much more on tomorrow's edition of WST. Have a great night, everyone. And thanks for hanging. Oh my God. Shut it down. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.